What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my god. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Whoa, Rick, check this guy out. He's really, he's got a lot going on for him. Silence, Morty. Hey, everybody. This is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from... Whoa. All right. Looks like we had a little bit of delay on going live. This is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the nostalgic North Star Recording Studio in southern Wisconsin, where it is 74 degrees at the moment and a bit humid. So, hey, today's show, a tree fell on my house and crushed my bagel. Bagel is a reference to self-similarity, right? We expect tomorrow to be similar to today, today to be similar to the previous day. So when crazy things happen, like a tree falls on your house, it kind of moves you out in the chaos, at least for a while. If that happened to me, I'm going to talk about it today along with some other things and how to negotiate chaos, how to work yourself through chaos as fast as you can to get back into self-similarity, right? But our self-similarity right now is pretty wild. Our self-similarity right now is a lockdown um, in, in mixed with a curfew, with a travel ban, and now with civil unrest. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. But I am glad that you're here. Thank you so much for watching the show. If you can do me a favor and subscribe to the channel, give a thumbs up. A welcome to Cameron Sanchez. Brian Bowden is also in the room tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it much. Um, let me give you a little bit of a rundown on what I've got going in front of me. So for those of you who are new to the show, uh, I have the main monitor in front where I'm watching myself. Over on the left are my show notes. I put together a few pages of notes for every show. And on the right is just an open browser uh, periodically we'll bring up stuff and bring it into the room here as we get going. But so this show will be produced in video, which is being done right now, right? I also render it in audio. It'll be on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, places that you find podcasts, right? That'll be out tomorrow. And I do a blog post. So that's something with all 139 episodes of the Safety Doc podcast. I also write a comprehensive 600 word blog post. So if you go to safetyphd.com, it's over there on the right-hand side in, in the chat room. Hey, you can find every blog post I've ever written for the show. And actually, I was going back to blog post number 88. Show 88 was about temporary autonomous zones, right? TAZs. And it just seems that we have a temporary autonomous zone happening right now in the city of Seattle, right? Six blocks have been declared um, an autonomous zone. So what does that mean? Well, podcast 88 here of the Safety Doc podcast. I went through that. Um, Hakeem Bay uh, came up with the term temporary autonomous zone. It's been used in, in research and a few temporary autonomous zones which have existed in the U.S. For example, Slab City in California is a TAZ, temporary autonomous zone, doesn't have any government. Um, it's a former military site, so you can look that up. That's 
been ex in existence for years. Now, a temporary autonomous zone in the middle of a major metropolitan area, that's a little different. We'll kind of touch on that later in the show, but you can get an idea for what a TAS is and, and kind of what will likely happen to a temporary autonomous zone, how long they last, right? And um, what happens when they, they start to deteriorate? And it's, it's kind of strange because temporary autonomous zones tend to deteriorate, right? When they start to put rules in place, the more rules and restrictions they get, uh, which is kind of, they form to get away from all of that, uh, they, they tend to put those back in place. That's something called social contract. Usually people don't, you know, just live without any rules. They start to put some rules in place and that kind of collapses a temporary autonomous zone. But I don't know. We'll see. Talk about it a little bit. Hey, SAS too many. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for showing up for the Safety Doc Podcast. I appreciate it much. Again, subscribe, thumbs up. Um, my book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. I post it. Uh, four pages um, on Twitter today from here talking about Hobbs Leviathan and social contract and uh, really temporary autonomous zones to give people an understanding just what is a temporary autonomous zone because we're hearing that right now, of course, with what's happening in Seattle. But this is on Amazon, places that sell books, Barnes & Noble, things like that. Hard copy, really nice book, 30 bucks. Publisher sets a price. I don't. Um, you can get it in Kindle for less many libraries across the country and world actually carry the book too. So uh, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. If you do have it, please uh, leave a review. Been stuck at 27 for quite a while. Appreciate that they're all five star, but like to see that number go up. Um, a shout out to John Grant and the 405 Media out of Los Angeles, California. See the sign in back of me for syndicating this show. Also a shout out to our good friends at Rooftop Life Rafts. Um, Southern um, United States, they produce a, a system where if you are caught in a flood, you can get out of your house safety. They It's worldwide that they market their products. I didn't know this, but actually in the Netherlands, you have to have some type of escape plan from your house in case of floods, which might be like a raft that's attached to your house and things like that. Actually required, right? Rooftop life rafts, and they have a whole bunch of other safety gear that they've handpicked that you should have in the event of a natural disaster. And I guess we're just not only seeing natural disaster, but maybe civil unrest where maybe you have to, to move or you have limited access to supplies for a while. I don't know, guys. Um, hey, some anecdotes. All right. Um, I took two bike rides this week of 80 miles each. One, the first one was 80. Second was 82. Both nice days, you know, mid 80s, a little bit humid and uh, felt absolutely great. So, I've, I have a bigger bag on my, my bike now. So I have this portable speaker that goes in the back, a rechargeable speaker, MP3 player, an old Samsung MP3 player, right? <laughs> it's all it, back when you could just buy an MP3 player. It looks like a phone, but it's not a phone. It's an MP3 player. And I download podcasts. So I was listening to you know a few podcasts on the way back. On the way out, I kind of just tried to clear my mind, listen to nature, stuff like that. Um, but anyways, so I'm, I'm out. And, you know, 80 miles and then I took a day off. Then I went 82 the next day. That's pushing it for me because it's early in the season for biking here. Because remember in Wisconsin, like a month ago, still has no, you know, coming down. Um, but, yeah, I felt I felt good. I mean, it was I was slow. You do for me to do 80 miles and like take breaks and stuff. I mean, that's that's like an eight hour trip uh, to do that. So. But anyway, you know, it was it was great stuff. I have a number of hills that I, I approach. You know, I'm going down these hills and I'm thinking, 
um, if I hit the, you know, I can slow down, I can slow the bike down, or I can just like go wide open down these hills. I can just go flying down these hills. And, um, and so I just, I just go flying down the hill, you know, I got a, got a really nice new helmet and, and I've, I've, you know, spilled the bike before and, and myself and stuff like that. But I'm thinking if I wipe it on this, I mean, this is not going to be good for me. I'm going to have to like kind of roll as I go down and it's going to, it's going to be a bad, but I don't think I'm going to wipe it. You know, it's, the bike is, is, you know, it's a road bike, but I load it up. Right. So it's really heavy uh, when I, when I'm going out. So there's a lot of momentum in that bike. So when you get going 30 miles an hour plus, you know, down a hill, um, you know, if you hit stones, or, there was a lot of debris out on the roads from all of the storms, a lot of tree limbs and stuff. I mean, you can go flying. But anyway, I didn't. So I felt great. It's a moment though. I'm like, do I play it cautious or do you go wild? And I'm like, all right. So Cameron asked, um, how many hours does it take to do 80 miles? So I can later in the season, I, I can get that done in like six to seven hours. Um, Cause I maintain, you know, a speed of like 14 to 16 miles an hour. This time, you know, it took me seven or eight hours. Um, I was taking, I was taking some more breaks and going a little slower and, you know, so you have gears like what you have 20, 27 gears. So I was keeping it in the middle range. I didn't go up to my top gear set, which is the most strenuous, which I get to later in the year. Like I just build up for that. Um, but still again, kind of early. That's a weird thing about Wisconsin. Um, unless you're one of these people who buys these big tired bikes and you go out in winter and stuff, which I don't, I just, I don't like to be out in winter anyway. Um, your biking season is pretty narrow. Like it's, it's really mid April to about mid October. So, um, and we had again, snow cold pretty late this year. So I didn't get in rides until maybe three, four weeks ago. So the first ones are more like 30, 40 miles. And then this was the week, you know, I've done 80 before I've done a hundred miles before. So, you know, I, I knew, um, I knew I could do it. I just had to leave early and just pace myself and, and you can really get in tune to your, with your body, right? You know, your when your electrolytes are starting to fade and you gotta, gotta, you know, I take salt tablets like I bring with me, um, and, and, you know, stuff like it gets to be a real science. Um, it's just because you can't afford to be like 60 miles into an 80 mile ride and start cramping up where you can't even push the ped pedals anymore. And I've had that happen. So, um, so yeah, just great though. Um, absolutely great. And this, this whole thing of like, I bought this JBL portable rechargeable speaker and, um, you know, with the hopes that I'd be able to listen to podcasts and when I'm bike, it is perfect. Like it absolutely works. Perfect. Um, I got it from Best Buy. So it's funny. Cause when I come home, I have to take everything down here to the studio because everything's rechargeable. All of the lights on the bike, there's a light on the back of my helmet. It all plugs into USB now. Remember guys, like remember it was, you know, we were growing up, you had to get AA batteries. I mean, if you had bike lights or any of the, or generators, my God, these generators that would run off of the tires, uh, you know, would eat up the sidewall in your tire. I remember I was 10 and you know, my bike, I had all these generators on it cause I had all these different lights and stuff like that. Um, so you kick the generators in and, and first it's a lot of res resistance. And the second thing, it just eats, chews up your tires. So, you know, that was back in what the seventies, early eighties, <laughs> but now it's, you know, everything just charges USB. So I take everything down here for the night, plug it in, you know, it recharges and then it's good to go. Like for an, for a ride like that, a lot of the stuff will last the seven, eight hours. Um, and I bring along a battery pack too. So if I need to recharge anything, um, I can, you know, the little lights though, I just, there's a setting you can put it like on minimal setting. So it, it'll flash, you know, for like 15 hours or something like that. But 
No, man, it's, it's good. So I just, I felt so good. Hey, Juan, Juan, thanks for being in the room. Hope all is well in San Francisco. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, uh, Sass to me wrote, my day, it was DNC batteries last about five minutes. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I Man, I had a CB radio that was made for bikes, for bicycles. Um, and this thing was mounted on the front of my bike and it probably had the range of like a mile or something. And it took like four C batteries. So it was just crazy. And of course, yeah, it would last. We had semi trucks would come past my house, literally past where my bedroom was on the corner and it was a street in town that you had to go by to get down to the cheese factory. And it was the main employer in town. So all these semis are driving past. So I could, from where my house was, I could get in contact with a couple of these truckers, you know, as they're going by for a few blocks with this little radio. It's kind of cool stuff. But uh, yeah, and after, you know, so we're going to talk about the storm a little bit. I got an LED uh, mag light with uh, 3D batteries. And my God, that thing like just lit up the whole neighborhood um, the other night after the storm when I got out, had to assess the damage. And I used to have those four regular, you know, the, the 4D battery with the regular incandescent bulb. And those things are always dim as hell. Like even if you had like brand new batteries, you only, it's just dim. So I'm so glad I got that LED one because man, that made a difference. But yeah, same way. Hey, the bike, bike is good. And I think, you know, mentally it's just good to push yourself. Like I'll, when I bike, you know, the first 15 minutes at your body, um, it's, I'm just like, Oh God, this is going to be a long day. And then finally you just get into it. Like you start burning, um, you know, burning the calories. Um, your, your body warms up, your muscles start to loosen. And then as you get toward the end, you know, you just start getting tired and you just got to push through it. And I think it's, it's so reflective of life, right? You just got to push through things. You got to keep going. Um, so, Hey, I found something out this week. I found out that Scott Adams, who writes the comic Dilbert, uh, doesn't want me to send my book to him. So I did offer and he got a hold of me, responded back. He said, no, I don't, I don't take packages. So I don't know. Um, so yeah, Scott Adams is, will not be getting school of airs. It's just not happening for him, but I got some good news about, um, about writing that's coming up here and it's there's book number two right for the safety doc podcast school of airs book number one i'm working on book number two i've done a comprehensive outline it's up to like 12 pages now it's, it's really coming together and i'm starting to negotiate with publishers again so i have i have the publisher for school of airs which i could return to that publisher but i'm thinking of, of you know considering some other publishers and kind of working in between with a person who has served as an agent and stuff like that agent. Um, so I found out that the name of the, the book, um, you know, that I, that I want is available. It's not trademarked. It's not copy. There's no copyright and things like that. So it's pretty cool. Like it's exciting because I would trademark it because it would actually describe a theory. Right. So if then somebody couldn't reference it apparently without, you know, giving credit to me, but yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I so I'm looking also for someone to write a foreword for this book, and I'm like, um, you know, who's who's going to do that? Like, who's going to be writing this forward for the book? So I could go back to my friend Danny Woodburn, Mickey Abaddon, Seinfeld. Right here's my my Starbucks. All right, wow. Well, so that's the thing. Who's going to write the forward? I don't want to go back to, to Danny and, and ask, right. Um, you know, who, who, who do you think might be, um, interested in, in writing this forward? Cause it seems, seems, I don't know. It seems like an awkward thing to ask 
of a of a friend who's already written the first forward for you. So so I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to start approaching um, and, and look at their work and say, hey, I'd like you to consider writing a forward for this book. But um, but yeah, so hey, some big news, big news here for the Safety Doc podcast. The number one jewel thief in the United States. Hey, my good friend, Red Crusade. Or no, Red Crusader is not the biggest jewel thief in the United States, by the way, but the biggest jewel thief in the United States, the biggest jewel heist, the name Larry Lawton. Larry Lawton. You can check him out on uh, Wikipedia. He's got he's a YouTuber. He's got fasting stuff. Um, wrote a book called Gangster Redemption. So uh, Larry Lawton, anyway, love his stuff. Love his YouTube channel. He's got these phenomenal stories about, you know, being at these maximum security prisons like in Atlanta. You know, it was built like in 1902 and these big rats are coming in you know, through the, through the doors at, at night, you know, the prison, uh, the prison, uh, slatted doors there and, and they're going into, you know, your, your play, your place there chewing on the mattress and stuff like this crazy stuff, how they break out the windows, the little slit windows and winters. So be, if it gets 20 degrees outside, it's how chilly it is in the cell, but it's got these phenomenal stories about situational awareness, right? Because he's always got to be aware of what's happening around him. So he's, he's out of, out of jail. He's doing a, a lot of terrific work. He's got something called a reality check program, but talk to Larry today. He's going to be on the show in July. So that is going to be amazing. So we're going to do a live show, Larry Lawton, L-A-W-T-O-N. If you think of Ocean's 11, think of Larry Lawton, right? Um, biggest jewel thief um, in the, in the United States. He's just a phenomenal guy, right? He's just, but phenomenal guy. Listen to him. Listen to these stories. I mean, he tried, he's talking about like this one heist where they, they, they were getting shot at and like the big bullet hole through the window and they had to go through a toll booth and he had to quickly like weave around this semi truck and, and give the money at the toll booth at the same time he's hearing in the toll booth, like be on the lookout for whatever vehicle and he's taken off and oh my God, it's just crazy. But these stories are amazing. Stories are amazing. So he'll be on. So just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, let's look over here. Face validity. So again, face validity is so important right now, especially what's happening in Seattle, what's happening with protests. Um, I have a lot of face validity coming out of Seattle from um, police, a police officer from our friend Bacon Maldito. So Bacon is still able to work his way in and out of this temporary autonomous zone, this, this Chaz Capitol Hill autonomous zone. Um, he sent me some photos last night from inside of the zone, sent me some photos today from inside of the zone. Um, so they're allowing him in and, you know, he said it was, you know, it's actually what he observed, right? Face validity. What he observed was, you know, wasn't violent, at least not toward him. Right. And, uh, he, he didn't observe this mass, you know, destruction more or less just, you know, barricading off this area and, you know, graffiti and things like that. Um, but yeah, so, so just send again, a lot of, a lot of photos. So that's appreciated. We talk about this face validity, right? Face validity, being able to tell people this is right. This is what I, this is what I saw, right? I was, I was there or somebody that I have vetted as a member check. Okay. I, I know bacon can give me authentic information, right? This is, this is what I'm hearing from a member check out of Seattle, right? This is what I'm hearing. So you need to be able to, to do that. It, again, when you say that to people, you say, I observed, right, that that puts you at a different level, that elevates you 
versus saying, I heard, because usually when you say I hear, it's like off the news, stuff like that. Hey, I want to give you an update from Germany, from our good friend, Philip Henrik, who is, uh, or Heinrich, who is a follower of the show, but uh, you know, it's a time difference. So he's probably taking, taking a few Z's right now, but uh, here's a couple things that he shared with me. All right. So Philip is, we, you know, we've been talking about finite voltage, finite voltage. Again, th these are key, key terms to, to know about. Okay. We've talked about them. We'll reiterate them, right? Finite voltage, finite voltage means that if you're in, in the military on the front lines, you know, like a little over 200 days, you can last before you're either killed, you're captured, or you have a mental collapse or a mental breakdown. Now for civilians, like this has been studied. And it's about 90 days, right? So if there's a military campaign, you can go about 90 days with civilians before they just kind of give up, get really depressed and just, I don't, you know, just make it end, right? Um, the thing is, you know, right now we've had these these concurrent events that have happened. So we had the, the pan, you know, COVID pandemic, all the shutdown with that. Now we had a civil unrest. So within 90 days, we had two sentinel chaotic events and people are getting pressed beyond their 90 days. So Philip, uh, was sharing with me. So his perspective in Germany, his observations in Germany, he's sending me pictures. He's going to stores and stuff like that. Stores are running really thin, especially grocery stores on stuff. Plus they're closing at five o'clock, but they're running really thin on stuff. Um, so, so that's one thing that's going on. Um, another thing is um, he's saying, you know, people are just expressing more anxiety, especially older people. And he's saying they're getting kind of just outright crazy. Um, in, 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 you know, their, their behavior. So he's especially, again, seeing this with older people um, said, Hey, you know, we have high unemployment. We have the restrictions for the pandemic, civil unrest here. We also have lack of food in grocery stores. And, and now pe people are closing their places earlier and earlier. So you have less time to get out and get these things. So, I mean, if you work till five and stuff closes at five, pretty bad, right? So this is something to be aware of finite voltage. We're at a point right now where a lot of people are hitting this finite voltage and going beyond it, where it just kind of cooks their their mind. Like they just start acting, um, you know, it's very irrational, uh, very chaotic. Uh, they start to lose hope. And you probably have relatives like this, right? You probably have, you know, relatives. You probably have, uh, you know, family, um, you know, immediate family members, neighbors, things like that, people that you interact with. Um, you know, I've interacted with some people and they, they just like, they just have gone on about this. Um, you know, people in the neighborhood, Hey, you know, this, and, um, so I'm, you know, taking all these precautions and do you ever think we're going to have a time when we're not going to be talking to someone through plexiglass at a post office or a restaurant? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, but they, they just start they, they've so consumed by, by this. And you know, what is, what is life? What's the quality of life? If this is what it's going to be like, I mean, whoa. Um, but you can see this finite voltage. So be the person that, you know, they go to you, right. Your relatives, you know, people around you, they recognize they are like, Hey, red, Hey, Brian, you know, Juan, you know, you, you guys definitely, the way that you present yourself, I mean, you're clear thinking you've got it together. Like, I appreciate that. Um, and, and then they start to, um, you know, try to live those own type of manifest, those own type of behaviors and their own actions. Um, so, you know, you have to be, you have to step it up for, you know, for people who are struggling. So, um, so, you know, we have to acknowledge that we're in a time of chaos. There's no doubt about it. We are in a time of, of chaos right now, social chaos. So we, again, what do we do when we're, we're in chaos? 
three, you know, three things. One is we inventory our options. So what are our options right now? And this is something that people, one, people just don't inventory their options, right? They, they just overlook that. They don't inventory their options. They think everything is either binary, yes or no, or they think that people will just tell them what to do. A lot of people are just like, just tell me what to do. Um, so one is inventory your options and that's ongoing. Like every day, inventory your options. What are my options today? What's being presented to me in my environment? The second is simulated annealing. Simulated annealing means that you're always looking for a better option, right? You're always looking for a better option. Um, number three is chaos is not never ending. Chaos is eventually settles into what's called an outcome basin. And it might not be what we desire, but it's like, chaos eventually kind of burns itself out or you just like live in chaos. Like that is, this becomes your new normal. If this is the way it's always going to be, you just adjust to it and start to function. It's not new anymore to you. So again, a lot of people are fraying, uh, do this, do this overload of all the stuff happening right now, keeping them outside of their bagel, keeping them in a state of chaos. There's a term I'm going to introduce right now. Uh, I'm going to put it down here in the, uh, uh, in the chat, I'm going to copy it from over here in my notes. I, I wasn't aware of this term um, prior to putting the show together. So I want to get into it right now. Um, there we go. The term is cyberchondria. Okay, cyberchondria. Um, and cyberchondria, and we know people that do it. Like I've done this, right? Cyberchondria is, it's kind of a form of confirmation bias. It's when, imagine that you go online but the only thing that you're searching, right? The only thing you're searching is like Seattle temporary autonomous zone, Seattle protest, you know, things like that. So you know that those are the results you're going to be getting in confirmation bias. You're only seeking, you know, the stories that kind of fit into, to, into your narrative in your mind. Um, but what it does is it just makes you worry more. It's like someone, you know, who goes on and, and the, you know, they're not feeling well and they type in the symptoms and then, you know, any of a hundred diagnoses come up. You might have this, you might have this. Oh my God, I might have this. So that's what happens. Cyber um, chondria. And again, a new term, it just means people have access to the internet. They go in and they absolutely go crazy. They absolutely go crazy. Oh yeah. The autofill. Hey, Red Crusader, that's a great point. The autofill functions don't help with that, right? You just start to type in a couple letters and it like gives you all the you know, 10 options and they're all like, Oh my God, people are actually searching for these things or these are the top results. I'm freaking out. Um, you know, like, you know, sore back, back cancer, you know, what is, you know, herniated disc back surgery. I'm like, I don't know. Back's just short, sore. Cause I biked. I'm like, I just want to know is, you know, should I ice it or put heat on it or whatever, but all these, these scenarios. So, this is interesting. I kind of got caught into this the other night when um, when the Seattle uh, temporary autonomous zone stuff was kicking in. I was doing a lot of searches for that. I was going on Twitter and I was refreshing, right, to get up, you know, the latest stuff. And then I'm like, oh, my God. Um, you know, I'm like, this, this really seems, you know, well, of course, that's the only information that I'm getting. So then I'm taking it on and I'm getting it back out to people I know in Seattle, including Bacon. And I'm saying, is this what you're seeing? And, and then, you know, to, to get confirm, to get um, face validity from somebody who's actually there. And he's like, oh, no, I'll check it out. No, I can do this or this is what I'm seeing. This is what. But, yeah, I mean, it, it just gets crazy. And the time passes, right? All of a sudden you look and it's like, oh, my God, it's two in the morning and I'm still searching for this stuff. So um, 
And it, it what it does is it ends up in what's called a functional impairment. Like you're not able to sleep and stuff like that, or you just, you can't do your work. You just get so tied up into this. And how many of us were there with, you know, um, the coronavirus and now with civil unrest and, you know, whatever it could be. So, um, yeah. So let me tell you about the storm. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's about it's a week ago. I need a bigger cup. All right. Um, so Red Crusader put, um, especially with a search engine that finds the most popular search options like uh, Seattle Riots, uh, BLM. Yeah. Um, and I use Chrome, which I know I probably shouldn't, right? But then it brings up, yeah, like it funnels you right into that. Um, Sass too many wrote Duck, Duck, Go. I know that's a, a browser option. Um Brian put, um, really depends on the search engine. Google isn't good, but Dr. Go is great. So yeah, I will definitely, uh, check that, check that out. Um, so let me tell you about last, last week. So this was last Tuesday and, uh, it's talking about the severe storm that hit our neighborhood. And like I said, th this was, I've talked to people who have lived here, you know, like their whole life, like my neighbor is 93. And they're like, this is the worst stor storm we've ever seen. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's really it the worst storm we've ever seen. Um, you know, people kind of conflate things, but definitely it was uh, significant. And in my life, there are a few things that stand out in this storm that I never experienced uh, before. So, um, you know, I'm going to get into that. So last Tuesday, the, the meteorologist the day before saying, hey, we're under a moderate risk for severe weather. You know, here's what it, it could look like. Yeah. So, you know, I, we understood that we had the risk because it was upper eighties and very humid. And then that uh, growing up in Northern Wisconsin, that was never good. Whenever you had a day when it was upper eighties and humid, right. You just, you knew bad things were going to happen as far as like storms. So, you know, we, it gets to be nighttime and it gets to be like eight o'clock at night and it stays light until like eight forty-five now. Um, and, and this front moves in. I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it because we weren't getting a lot on TV, weather radar, you know, or the little beep on the phone thing, the beep, beep, beep on TV, storm center. None of that was really happening. And I'm in the, suddenly the winds start to kick up, like suddenly. And that's the thing, you know, I'm 48. I don't remember winds like just hitting like that. It reminded me, I had a friend who was in the northern part of uh, Wisconsin and it was during the day, a tornado hit where she was working, right? Hit the community. And she's like, it was sunny outside. And then like, you know, these winds kicked up, tornado hits 15 minutes later, everything is like wiped out and the sun is back out. Storms moved past. And it was very, very much like that. So, you know, I'm, we're, we're in the house with me, my, my wife, our kids, and, and these winds kick up, boom, just like that. You know, we're talking like 60 seconds. And I, I tell them, just go in the basement. And, you know, just check in, is there going to be, you know, siren, is the siren going to sound? What's, what's happening? And all of a sudden I'm looking out the front window, right? I'm looking out the front window of our house and I'm like, this is not, this is not good. Um, but kids or my kids and wife are downstairs. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm just getting a glance of what's happening here. Right. Famous last words, right? Getting a glance of what's happening. It's bacon Maldito. Hey, it's Bacon Maldito. I don't know. Bacon, this probably be like an hour show, but Bacon Maldito. I've just mentioned you. Give it a shout out to the goddamn bacon.com. Bacon's been giving me some great um, intel, some 
great face validity from uh, inside of the temporary autonomous zone in Washington. So th this all of a sudden I hear this this thud, this big boom. And then um, I hear this, I hear this boom. And then, um, oh my God, it's just absolutely crazy. The house shakes. In the moment that happens, I'm like, damn, tree fell in the house. Like, you know it. I'm, and I don't have, it wasn't my property. So this is something I learned either. Um, hey, it says too many. Yeah. Uh, Bacon and says too many, Cameron. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, you know, this huge thud. So the moment that happens, you know, something fell on the house. Um, and then, you know, I, I can see these limbs just like pushing up against the house. There's big tree limbs, like it just the whole front of the house are pushing up against them looking out this window. So I'm like, I got to get downstairs because I mean, I, I don't know what's happening. I get downstairs, you know, it's maybe like 10 minutes. We don't have any siren. We have a siren pretty close to our house. Doesn't sound it didn't sound for this. Now, the interesting thing is the next day they were out there testing it, like all the sirens in town. I don't know, day too late. But um, so anyway, all these, you know, I, I come upstairs, right? And I, I look and we have tree lying on our house. I'm like, God damn it. And, uh, you know, that definitely puts a dent in our house and then, the, you know, the gutter and all of that. I mean, it's just, it's obvious. It's just a tree comes down. Now, here's the thing too, like it was my neighbor's tree. It wasn't mine. So I, you know, I get out there and I take a couple pictures because it, it's not dark yet. Right. It's just it's still it's like light, lightly raining, but it's not lightning. So I take a few pictures. I'm going to talk about what I did before I actually got out and took these pictures, though. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so I get a couple pictures. I can see the damage to my house. I don't know what really has gone on, you know, or is what, what damage to the fascia, any windows broke, anything like that. Um, what damage to the roof? I'm not going to know that till the morning because it gets dark. I can tell though down the road from me. So a block away just got pulverized by this, the storm, which they're saying is a Doppler indicated F2 tornado. Like, but so like all of a sudden and I took video of it, like, um, down from me, literally one, one block away, straight down our road, everything is shut down. Like there's barricades put up. Um, you can see police, you can see all the yellow lights from the utilities and stuff like that. So I'm like, Oh, like that is really bad down there. And, and, um, that's also like a really high value property area. Like most of those homes have pools. Um, you know, just, just, just I know there's going to be a lot of damage when, when the sun rises down there. So anyway, you know, I take these, I take these, these pictures and stuff like that and check my kids' windows. And for sure the screens are all ripped up. I thought that they were shattered because it's just, but you know, because all of the, the stuff is up against them. But then I found out the next day they actually weren't. Um, so it, it was just crazy. So all of this stuff hits. So one of the things is, should I have gone downstairs earlier? Yeah, I mean, probably I I should have now. I, you know, I'm, it's a, it's a ranch home. I'm pretty close to where I could have made a run for it. I'm not as young as I used to be. Right. But, um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I wasn't getting anything, you know, from, from national weather service. I didn't hear the siren, you know, stuff like that. And, and, you know, we, we have Douglas fir rafters on our house also. So our house and our house is put together where the rafters, um, you know, everything is interconnected. It's, it's so it's, it's built for high winds. And I also have like a, you know, up hurricane grade steel siding and all this. So I know like the house can take a few hits before the house goes down. So I'm thinking, you know, if, 
if this is really, if there's like a tornado bearing down on me, I've, I've got time, you know, to, to hit the, you know, hit the steps and get down to the basement. But, um, but yeah, so here's the deal. Oh, so Brian, you wrote about our neighbor's insurance. So get this. That's not the way that it works, man. I thought the same thing. So I call our neighbor that night and I said, Hey, your tree fell on our house. And, you know, so I took some pictures and in the morning and, um, but so I call my insurance agent and I tell the insurance agent, and she's like, yeah, you know that your insurance will have to cover that. I'm like, it's their tree. Their tree fell on my house. They're like, no, it's not the way that it works. So I'm, I verify this, call it in as a claim that night. Same thing. Look at my policy, do a little research online. And I guess the deal is right. The, the insurance companies, they consider it an act of God. If it's, you know, there's one thing if some, they're hiring somebody and they're cutting down a tree and the tree limb falls, they consider it an act of God. And you're not responsible then as, as the, if that originated on your site. So imagine like some tree limb hits my house and it's from three blocks away during the storm. Like I don't have to go back and prove, Hey, this came off of your tree neighbor three blocks away. I can match it up here perfectly. And, and that's what they explained to me. Like, we don't do it because in a lot of places there's so much damage that, you know, we can't take tree limb to tree limb to try to match up to where this came from. But I'm like, it's right there. You can see where it broke. <laughs> you can see the, it's, it's obvious, right? He's, here's came down tree on our house. So, and I have a deductible, so that sucks. Like I've got to eat that. Um, but yeah, so that would, that, so anyway, um, Luck, luckily it didn't damage the chicken coop. The tree was over. Yeah. <laughs> we have neighbor neighbors in the back have chickens. Uh, sometimes they get kind of loud, but, um, so yeah, no one was home doing it. So no cars were damaged. Oh yeah. So, um, red's talking about, uh, some storm damage and heavy rain. So this one caught me off guard, right? Some, you know, safety guy, uh, been through tornadoes and I was younger. We, uh, my dad actually, um, had me asked me to come up to the top of the stairs um, when I was a kid. I was maybe 10, and a tornado was coming literally half a block from our house. Smaller tornado um, was doing damage. It actually took the steps, cement steps, moved them in the front of our house. But we were at the top of the stairs, so you just had to go down the stairs. And there was a bunker down there built in the 60s, a um, nuclear blast bunker. So, I mean... If the thing just moved a little bit in two seconds, we could be downstairs and in the bunker. But I remember that. would be like, hey, come up here. We're watching this like through the open door. It's just crazy. Um, but yeah, so anyway, you know, call the insurance company and all of that. And but God damn it. So I, I didn't realize um, that that was that was the deal. Right. So, yeah. Can the God, this is funny. Bacon. Can they still claim it as an act of God if you claim to be an atheist? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, you know, my insurance policy, which I bring out, which is like reading an old phone book. I'm like, I don't know what the conditions are on this. And my neighbor works for the insurance company, like for the corporate office of not, not the neighbor where this tree fell, another neighbor on the other side. So, you know, she's kind of verifying the same stuff to me as yeah, the way that it is. It's an act of God type of thing. But so I was kind of hoping my neighbors, you know, that had the tree would, would like, say, Hey, we want to make this right somehow. So we're going to like give you, you know, a, this much money. <laughs> Cause I told him, I said, here's my deductible. Um, and your tree fell on my house and I'm making these repairs, which you are seeing. Right. And, uh, and I thought I had them to the point where they it were going to like, just say, yeah, we're going to here, we're going to do this. And they're both like, they've been retired and, you know, they're well off and stuff like that. But 
I don't know. Um, I know legally they don't have to do anything. If it was me though, I don't know. Like my neighbors, you know, I, I think to, to keep, uh, I don't know. I, I would feel some sense. So here's an example. Like my, my other neighbor, I'm out fertilizing my lawn. Right. And, uh, and I'm out there and, um, I, I, you know, take a corner and we have this one piece of property or this piece of grass in the middle between our two driveways that we share. So I just take care of it. Like that's, a, I'd talk to them. They're like, they're cool with it. Cause otherwise you just mow half of that. It looks weird. It's only, you know, like 10 feet wide. So I'm like, just, if you're okay with it, like when I mow, I'll just mow this. So it doesn't look weird. They're like, that's fine. Um, but so I fertilized it. And when I was, you know, turning the fertilizer, the thing on a corner, like I spread too much and burned a section of grass, not a big thing, but it was on their property. So I actually dug that up. Well, first I washed it, you know, cause you just apply water to wash the, the fertilizer down. So it doesn't keep burning. And then, um, I, I dug that up and I put new grass seed in and I started to water it, put a little mulch over it that I, I kind of keep in my backyard. Um, anyway, I just told him, I'm like, Hey, I did this you know, burned your lawn and I'll fix it. I'll plant new grass. See, everything will blend in. It's all fescue. Don't worry about it. And uh, they're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, so just, if you see me over here and I'm kind of tending to this part, um, it's not because I don't think you're doing a good job on your lawn. They're like, what the hell Dave doing over here on our lawn? Um, it's it's kind of weird, right? Because if I saw some, if I saw a neighbor like on to my lawn, you know, digging up and doing stuff, I'd be like, what the hell's going on with that? I don't, I don't get it. But, you know, so I just, I, but I felt, that's my, my responsibility, right? Like, you know, I did this, so, you know, I'll square it. I'll make it right. And if, but anyway, my neighbor, they haven't done anything. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. It kind of sucks, but, um, so here we go. Sastamira, why did, why do they always call it storm damage when it's almost always tree damage? Yeah. Tree. And, and the thing is right, right. Sass it's, and it's not like, where did this tree come from? <laughs> I'm like, this tree, and it's not even on the property line. I mean, that's the thing. I took all of these photos, right, for my my insurance um, carrier. Like, I, I, I'll i get into how I did this. and Because part of what I did is I realized as soon as the tree hit the roof, I just thump and the whole house shakes. Um, I'm like, okay, I mean, we're in a state of chaos because the house has been damaged. It could be substantially damaged. And I've got to get this back to normal, you know, similarity as fast as I can, because I don't want to be dealing with this. And I know other people have had stuff damaged and I want to get higher up in the queue. So I get my stuff dealt with. Um, so I'm thinking that like right away, I'll step that through, but yeah, I mean, storm damage, where did this come from? I'm like, it's right there. There's a tree fell on my old tree too, like a hundred years old It's a nice tree, but by looking at it, even now, like there's another tree that's on their property and then on my other neighbor's property, like old trees who, that are healthy. But I'm like, Christ, if either of these fell and I have a chimney on my house, knocks that down. You know, like I keep my house with wood in winter. It could be a hell of a thing. By the way, this tree gave up its life to be firewood uh, for me. So I, I got a lot of it down. Well, all of it's downstairs right now, drying out in my, in my house. So it will pay the price twice. You mess with the dock, you end up being uh, firewood. So so anyway, yeah, no, no siren, no nothing, you know, and this thing like 15 hits 15 minutes later, it's done. And literally it's just like a light rain outside. Here's the thing though. I want to hit on this part um, first. All right, here we go. Um, good deal. 
All right, let's check the chat. Um, Red, Red, um, that's how they get you. They know your coverage when you sign up 10, 20 years ago, but you forget coverage there. Yeah, and get this. So, and then the insurance agent said, oh, you've got this amount of deductible. Like we don't even offer that anymore. Like here, the minimum was three times that amount for like a new policy. So I even lucked out with that. I'm, although like my stuff, I'm not going to make a claim for it. Um, it's just not going to make sense. But yeah, so I'm like, holy smokes. Some of the houses around us, I mean, they they incurred easily $100,000 in damage. Easily, easily. Um, Bacon, sorry, we, we cover act of gods, but murder hornets fall under acts of Satan. Yikes. Brian Bowen, laugh out loud. Yeah. Bacon. Oh, my goodness. Arson. Um, yeah, actually, I, I know some people who have businesses that were impacted by uh, rioting. And, uh, you know, they have pretty substantial deductibles, um, you know, that they're they're dealing with now. And then the other part is that they're very afraid that their deductibles will rise because that area now has been area where riots occurred. So what's the likelihood that another riot could occur? So it's like, holy smokes. Um, Trends doesn't cover riots or civil unrest. So, yeah, I, I don't know about civilian. Hey, Paranormal Heart Cat, welcome to the show. Cat had some severe weather up there in Canada. I hope you're doing well. So, um, yeah, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Um, here we go. Asteroid insurance is an additional charge. Oh, my goodness, all this stuff. USA covers everything, yeah. I mean, I've been pretty happy with my insurance. I don't know. Generally, I have been. They they really gave me a nice, uh, appropriate settlement when I had the car accident, which wasn't my fault. But um, but anyway, so here's the thing. So um, this was something when I was being trained as a firefighter years ago, right? As a young man, being trained as a firefighter, this was a point over and over and over again that, uh, you know, they, they went through when they trained you. And, and every time they would stop and make an example of this. But the thing was, never enter an area that you have not fully assessed, okay? Um, so here's an example. You know, they would give, they would talk about, I remember this, you know, this was back in the 90s. They talked about a firefighter who got off of a, a, an engine and stepped, you know, a second step was on a, a live power line and he was killed, right? Um and, you know, they, they would give all these examples of people walking into very dangerous situations because they hadn't assessed them. So uh, we just had it here in, in Wisconsin, um, uh, up in central Wisconsin. It was last year. Severe storms came through, did a lot of tree damage. And there was a, a guy from a utility company was, uh, you know, first on the scene, right? They're getting the utility trucks out there, get the power restored and got out of the truck and was like just kind of looking around at some trees and something and a, and a wind kicked up and a branch fell paralyzed him and um it, you know it was before he had done an assessment i don't think he had a, a hard hat on it literally was just something where you get out of a truck and you're just trying to figure out um so the whole thing is i i get to the porch and immediately it, it overrides me right it just kicks in and it's like you've got to do um You've got to do an assessment here of, of what's out there. You can't just walk. I mean, because power lines were down and we got under underground wires where we're at, but other parts of town. But, you know, this is there more stuff that's going to fall. There's other trees. You know, wh what's what's out there? Um, so I, I get to the porch and, you know, we've covered porch concrete slab 
and I'm doing, I got the flashlight and it's already, you know, there's light out there. I'm doing a thorough assessment that we, you just go through and you make sure that every step that you take, you, you've checked before you take that step and you're looking for power lines, you're looking for gas leaks, you're hearing, are you hearing a hiss? Are you hearing stuff like that? So these things that are part of training, they didn't, they never leave you, right? They, they never do. And I, I remember that from the car accident I had back in, um, you know, January 18th of, uh, 2019 of, you know, the things that you listen for, the things that you look for, the things like this. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing how that gets ingrained in you, but rules. So you never, you never make a step without checking, you know, what's in front of you. Um, and again, is there a tree limb, you know, it's hanging by thread, stuff like that. So here's something, you know, I, I put this story in here for the narrative here. So this reminds me, um, this reminds me, we had a fire downtown in our community here about five years ago. It was one of those, you know, hundred year old main street buildings, you know, with big old, big old building and, um, made it, you know, made a brick and stuff like that, been remodeled a hundred times. So, um, this thing starts on fire somehow. And, uh, anyway, the fire department, show, I, I get down there, right. Because it, you know, hear this thing and, um, fire department, our fire department shows up, you know, they got a tower truck, you know, aerial truck, uh, pumper, stuff like that. And they're setting stuff up and, uh, and this crowd starts to show up, right. Because billowing smoke. I was building on main street. It's like in summer is a big thing. And uh, pretty soon the crowd starts to be like, hey, like put the fire out. <laughs> like, you know, they're kind of getting on the, the firefighters a little bit like that. Not dangerous, but they're kind of like, hey, you know, you got to do something here. Like because they they raise the, the tower truck and the tower truck is positioned over this this building. Right. And but but there isn't any water like this being sprayed onto this building. Now, the thing is, like. So if you're just watching, if you're just in the crowd, you're, you're kind of like looking at this, maybe thinking the firefighters aren't doing their job. Like they should be putting this building out. But the fact was they, they knew nobody was in the building at that time. Everybody had, had gotten out of the building safely. Um, also, this is an old building. It's been renovated many times. So when you go into something like that, these false ceilings and stuff, you know, old buildings may have, they, it's just dangerous, really dangerous to put people in there to what, you know, if it's already, burning at certain level, this just doesn't make sense. So they had to, to, first of all, you got to get all your gear on, like your oxygen and all of that stuff and your turnout gear. Um, there's, a, there's something called mutual aid is really hot. So they call neighboring fire departments to send in their crews because you can only put people in this building for so long before, you know, they'd have to come out heat exhaustion, things like that. So this takes time, right? It takes time. Plus you have to assess is the power live to this building you know, are, are there any cracks that are starting to show up in the bricks on the outside? Is it starting to lean in one way? I mean, all these things like you have to assess. So the aerial is up, the, the tower truck is up there to assess. It's not up there to throw water down at this point. People don't realize that, right? People, again, don't realize that. And here's one of the things like from being, um, so here, Cat uh, wrote, did a tree fall in your house? How are you? Yeah, a tree did fall on my house. <laughs> I'm good. Our family's good. Um, I for sure thought my daughter's windows, both of them, uh, their bedrooms are on that side. I thought they were smashed. If you look from the inside, this tree was up again. It looked like they were smashed and, and the water was sticking to them and screens are all ripped up, but it turned out the windows, windows were okay. And it's a stone exterior in the house built in 70s. So it was like thick stones. So it was a good buffer. Like the insurance agent said, you couldn't have had a better area for this to strike because we have steel siding on the other side. It's hurricane grade, but still this would have this would have damaged it. So, but yeah. So so anyway, this this is firefighting, right? So one thing with an aerial, 
is when, when you see a aerial ladder truck start spraying water down on a fire, there's usually then nobody inside of the building because what happens is all of that heat that was coming out the top of the building, coming out the windows gets pushed back into the building. So you actually see the steam smoke come out of the windows, out of the front door, stuff like that. So when you see that, like, so I'm watching this as a firefighter, when you see them turn the, you know, the, the water on the aerial pumping a thousand gallons of water down on this thing, that means they're pretty much just trying to put this thing out. They're not going to save it at this point. They're just going to, you know, it's going to keep it from spreading and stuff like that. But there's no rest. There's no people coming in to try to save this building. They've determined it's pretty much gone. But yeah, people who just watch this. So, so I think the whole point in that is people, people don't understand. You have to really assess situations and really understand what's going on. Um, so anyway, so, you know, the, the night happens, you know, I'm out there, I'm assessing what's, what's happening. It just is really sucks. It really sucks. So I come in the house, I've taken two photos and, um, I've taken two photos. Let me, um, I'm going to bring up a photo here. Let me do this one. Dun, 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 dun. All right. All right. I'm going to do a share screen. This is my neighbor's place. So you can just get an idea of what was going on here. Um, there we go. That's my neighbor's house. Like that was the next day. That was about 10 hours into the next day. I went down there with my wheelbarrow and saws and was always, was already doing a lot of work. That's a in the back here. That's a huge piece of construction equipment that was uh, moving some trees. And then there were other things like this that had big straps, big nylon straps around trees that were tilted so they wouldn't fall onto homes. So this is this is a huge this is like a probably a seven hundred thousand dollar home back here. This is a nice Volvo. Over here is the start of an in-ground pool. Um, there's an outdoor basketball court, really nice home. This is a block, literally a block away. I walked down there. Well, you couldn't drive, right? You couldn't drive anywhere in town because every the roads were all covered. It was just just a mess. Um, trees are so overrated, cut them down on your property, strip the branches of your neighbor's trees over here. So yeah, Sass, Sass too many, um, you know, first of all, I've changed my position on trees. Like I, I would not, <laughs> I would not plant a tree anywhere close to my house after this. I've got some big spruce in the back, but they're like 75 feet and, uh, the winds out of the West would push them away from my property anyway. But, um, I 75 feet from my house, but yeah, my neighbors. So I'm thinking, I was talking to my wife about this and I said, you know, I'm, tempted to approach my neighbors and we have one like a, the one where this tree fell on our house there's another tree that's in between our two homes which are separated by like 25 feet and if this tree which is 100 years old falls it will hit one of the homes there's it, no other way and i said i'm tempted to either ask them to take it out and just, you know if they won't split the difference or ask if i can take it out because actually for me paying to take this out i know it sounds weird but it would save us from potentially having this substantial damage to our house later, we already have this deductible. And my other neighbor has a house or a tree that's big and it's kind of overhangs. And I do keep them trimmed back. Like I, I call in the tree trimmers because these things are like 7,500 feet in the air at this point. I can't do it. I don't have the equipment to do this. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really like, I mean, we, so here's an example. Here's an, here's an example. So today, um, today it was, um, it was really windy. Like they actually issued a wind warning this afternoon. Um, and I'm like, you know, what the hell? When was, when was this supposed to happen? Um, 
you know, this, this, uh, this wasn't even in the forecast. We're going to a wind warning today. I'm like, wind warning. The hell's that about? It was really windy outside. Again, it was warm and sunny. Um, and, and yet really windy. So I'm looking at my neighbor's trees, of course, and I'm really paranoid about this now. I'm like, son of a gun. Like I even told my daughter, I'm like, yeah, but stay out of like the, the main room on the side because like this tree, I'm like, just, you know, go and you can use that other rooms of the house, but until this is done, like, don't be in that room. So it's really messing me up. So here's a picture of, of, again, um, this is one of my neighbors. Um, there's, it got pulled back there. This place really got hammered on the other side. And you can kind of look, I mean, this is after, this is after like 10 hours already cleaning up. This thing took a, a, a beating. This is just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, just, just, a just a mess. Um, let's look at this one right here. Yeah. Again, this is down the road. Um, yeah. From me, this is on my street. So this, this place uh, was pretty ripped up in, in the backside of it. Um, this place was, was also just a, a mess. Let me get a image here. of So what they did is they blocked off again. Um, I'm up here. Like that's where I'm at right there on the cursor. So this is, again, this is 10 hours later. Like they've just cleared the streets. They had just nonstop, like um, uh, it, 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 the city trucks, dump, dump trucks coming in, front end loaders, saws, you know, just cutting this stuff up. I mean, it, it was, it was just, it just sucked. Bacon wrote, same thing, doc. Um, anything large enough to do damage is screw up your plumbing is out for me. Only greenery. So I don't, yeah. And I've been, I mean, I've been pretty smart. I put a, a maple in our front yard and put it pretty far out. We planted it like when we moved here, it's 18 years ago, but it only gets 45 feet. I keep, it's in good shape. Um, 45, 45 feet tall, like a mini maple, I guess they call it red maple. But, but yeah, I mean, so you can see these old trees in my neighborhood and man, oh man, this was just a damn mess. I mean, they, they literally up until a day or two, I mean, it was just chainsaws and just, you know, and different companies bring in their chippers and they they bring in semis. I mean, pine trees went down where they cut them and I'm sure they took them, you know, like the lumber mills and stuff like this is just insane. This was just nuts. And yeah, so I learned about it and here was, and this is on the other side of town, but this is an interesting tree because this is what it looks like when you have, um, this is what it looks like when you have a tornado come through because it's the, it's the swirling winds that you know just twist the branches it doesn't push the tree over see it's not pushed over here it just does it so this is like my whole town um you know this is what the trees look like so that's the difference between it and look just left the street here i mean look at how that is all and these you know there were vehicles just smashed windows um it was just crazy just crazy so yeah this is this is um this is what happens to a tree if you fall on my yard or fall in my uh on my house <laughs> So, um, so yeah, it, it's just, it's just crazy. So I, this, this was one of many loads that made it into my basement. So a little story here about the wheelbarrow. So this is my wheelbarrow. I've had it for many years. And so people in the neighborhood, they didn't have wheelbarrows. Like I, the, the most valuable thing the next day. So I, I was out early. I'm helping people. Like, I think for two days, like I'm just volunteering. Like, what do you need me to do? Like, you know, I'm your neighbor from up here. And the big thing is I had the wheelbarrow and it was hauling debris. It was hauling wood. So this, this is all stuff that, you know, went down into my basement, but they would cut things up and I would just haul it and move it, like move it closer to the road, 
things like that. People didn't have wheelbarrows. Like people today, and, and somebody had one that was like plastic, but then it's like shallow and then it like broke off at one point. And I'm like, this thing is made. Um, and, and yeah, I've had this forever. Like, so my wheelbarrow was just like nonstop in use. I mean, it was, it was that thing you, you think a chainsaw, but like everybody has a chainsaw, like it's Wisconsin trees, stuff like that, but wheelbarrow really in use. So yeah. Um, so Cameron wrote, had an old dying tree fall into my backyard fire pit while there was a fire going on. That's ironic. I actually went out and I cleaned up. Uh, we had a birch that had a couple dead limbs, nothing big, but I saw those down um, in the last few days. So yeah, was, I don't know. It's crazy stuff. So yeah, let me, let me get back to um, get out of here and here kind of, let's get back to the narrative. Oh my God. And a picture, and yeah. So anyway, so I get up that morning, next morning after the storm hits, I get up that morning, right? And I get up early and I get out in, in front of the house. And at first I asked my daughter, I'm like, can I borrow your whiteboard? All right. She has this, this whiteboard and give me a, a dark marker, like a good marker. And I write the date on it and our address. And I put this in every picture then that I'm taking. So of the tree from different angles of the damage it's done to the house, I put this up there because I want to timestamp things. Like I want to know when this happened. So I want to know, I, I want the adjuster to know because the adjuster is like, you can clean the stuff off your house because we're not sure when we're going to be there. Actually turned out, I called this in like the night before, right? So I, I was the eighth person to call in damage. By the next morning, 150 people had called that insurance carrier in that area and said we had damage. So I, I was up on the queue, right? I want to return to similarity as fast as I can. So I get this manila folder. I write down, I actually write down that night what happened. Okay, I was here. Here was the time. Here's what I heard. Here's what I saw. Here's a picture. I printed off. Here's all the stuff. Made the report, called the insurance agency. So you act on these things fast. You try to get ahead of the other people because you're all competing for resources, right? They're going to try to get their builders. They're going to try to you know get the insurance adjusters out. So I want to be higher up on the queue. I want to return to similarity faster than, than they do, right? Um, as fast as I can, I guess. So anyway... Um, so, so yeah, I get up in the morning, I'm taking all of these pictures. I'm doing this timestamp thing, which is really a good idea. And again, from being an expert witness, this is a good thing because I know you have to timestamp things. Like if you have this picture, it's like, when was that taken? Whatever. But if you actually have a whiteboard in it and it has a date and stuff like that, it's easier to prove that's what happened. So, um, yeah, anyway, and, and that evening I texted our builder, the guy that put the roof on our house 10 years ago does other st stuff for us. And I'm like, Hey, this happens. Tree fell on our house. I know we have this damage from this photo. I'm, I'm sure we have more. Can you come out in the morning or have somebody come out and check it? And, uh, so yeah, 8 AM builder has one of his crew there who we've worked with before. The crew member is like, um, yeah, you know, here's, it's not as bad as what you thought. And then he had a big, like a dump truck and, and we were able to cut the tree up, throw it in there. I mean, it's just, it's crazy stuff. So yeah. So, so that's, that's the whole thing. And then I had, again, I had a paper, I had a manila folder. Then I had a folder on my computer where I'm putting these, fo fo uh, you know, photos and, and notes and stuff like that. Insurance uh, agent, um, adjuster comes in. I can show some photos. Here's exactly what happened. Here's the photos. Helps the insurance adjuster. Uh, you know, the builder arrives. I've, I've got stuff. I've already got my pictures taken. I took the screens in that day to get repaired from the glass place in town. So, you know, they, I got them back in a few days. Cause again, I'm one of the first people, right. I'm one, kind of one of the first in line and the builder is going to be out here next week to repair the damage. There's nothing critical to the house, which is good. Um, but of course, you know, the money out of my pocket doesn't get picked up by the, by the insurance uh, company 
because I'm, I'm going to you know eat the deductible and then some. Um, and then, man, neighbor who had the tree not helping out with this, but so yeah, it was a summary. What's the, what's the point of this? And then we're gonna we're gonna get into talking about the Seattle Autonomous Zone. But point of it is, one is, you know, people would contact me that I knew, and they're like, "Why didn't you go downstairs right away when this happened?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, it's a great question, right? Because you know, safety guy, you probably shouldn't be downstairs." But um, so you know, why why didn't I go downstairs when when this happened? Um, I one is I I didn't realize. It was it was that intense because I mean we weren't getting uh, tornado warning stuff the siren things like that, um, and the other was I I knew you know we're in a ranch Douglas fir our rafters are anchored uh, you know into our, our wall joists you know I knew I had some time if things really went south like that I could probably get downstairs right, it, but it was it was something it was just that fast onset um, and. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's true. Like if something, if the tree would have come another way in through the window, it would, I mean, it was a big risk for me to, big risk for me to be there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it just crazy stuff. So um, risk assessment, that's the other part. Something happens, you get in a car accident, uh, you know, storm damage hits your house or whatever. Um, do a risk assessment, figure out what is, what's, what the state of your environment is, because it's different. Right. And actually, when I did, the, I, I took pictures. I also did a little I did a video of the front of the house, what had happened, the tree. But then I did all the way around. I videotaped everything, even though everything else looked normal. Maybe all of a sudden something starts leaking or I notice something and I can go back to the video and say, oh, I took the video on this day. It was like there after the storm. And previously, I didn't encounter this thing because, I mean, who knows? I mean, another five days, you have another storm. Something else happens. You just don't know. So I took a lot of a video from kind of the whole property doing doing this assessment. Document things, timestamp it, write it down. What happened? Write down the time. I did that right away. Email. I emailed the insurance agent. Here's the details. I had the photo. You know, put little descriptions on the photo. Timestamp the photo. Put a little you know overlay on it. Here's the date the photo was taken. And then contact the people you need who are going to help you resolve this. Right. I got a hold of my builder, and I'm like, here's in in. So I'm getting a hold of him before other people are, and I'm like, this happened. Um, I want you, you know, you need to do an assessment because of any, I, you're the person that's going to be doing the work on the house to, you know, repair this, or if I've got damage, um, you know, to, to shingles, to other things you know, you're going to be get the person repairing this. So, yeah. So he's out there, got one of his crew out there right away doing an assessment so I can get early on his list because again, there's so much damage in my community, um, right now. It is just absolutely, absolutely crazy. So here's an image. This is this is kind of a neat one. Um, oh, it is a, it is a neat one. So this is um, okay. This is taken from my house, and you can see part of the tree there. Okay, you can see part of the tree. Um, and this is down the road. So again, this hit at about eight o'clock. So this is maybe nine o'clock. This picture was taken, and by that time, it's dark. You can tell down the road here. So that's a skidster. Um, there's a barricade. There's a police vehicle. They're already blocking this road off. That's where I showed you, you know, that car with the smashed out windows. But again, this doesn't show the whole angle of, you know, where this is starting in my front yard. This is part of this, this tree. But, but yeah, so the, I knew something really bad happened down here when they're starting to close this, this area off. It's kind of weird too, because my flashlight, did a great job like lighting the stuff up to LED light. When I would shine it down there, they'd be like, stop shining the light down here. Be like, okay. 
Um, not trying to, not trying to upset anybody, not trying to make anybody mad. Um, but yeah, they were like, Hey, don't, um, yeah, don't do that. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't want to bring up my, my address, uh, here. I'm looking for a couple other, couple other photos. Um, this, I guess, and you know, people we've, you know, you've been through, You've been through storms before, but um, let's look at this one. So, yeah, this was down at the end of our block. This person lost every single tree on their property, every tree. Um, so, yeah, this just look at this, this mess, this mess. And this was um, this took them maybe three, four days before they had this these trees cut out. You know, they had them cut out so you could get through on the road here. But uh, this person and I talked to this person they didn't contact like their insurance agent right away. They were trying to figure out from relatives, what do we do? And all this other stuff. By that time, like everyone had kind of been consumed who could fix these things. Like, you know, the tree people and stuff, they already been called. So, um, so even to the, I think it was today I, I went through there and a lot of the stuff is still remaining because they just don't, I'm guessing they don't have the people to, you know, fix this. Um, but the problem here, right. Is that there's a gas line that ran through the bottom here. So initially, I'm talking to my neighbors right across the road down here. They said they thought there were gas leaks. Um, so they they shut everything down, apparently shut the gas down, shut all the electricity down. We kept getting these notices. We kept getting notices all through the night. Hey, your power is going to be turned on in you know 45 minutes. I'm like, well, we had power. Like up by us on our block, we had power, but apparently they shut power off to all of all of these areas. Um, and the reason was because, you know, they didn't know if there were, you know, gas leaks, um, you know, happening or, or what was, you know, what was really going on, uh, you know, so it was, it was just crazy, but, uh, but yeah, let's go back to get off of that. So, um, so yeah, let me, let me just kind of wrap through my, my summary on that. So one, you know, get to safety, right. Get to safety. Um, because I don't, it would have done, it would have been just stupid to have a house fall on me or me be damaged because a tree comes through the front window, uh, which was very possible in this, um, uh, before you go outside, do a risk assessment. You know, your first instinct is, Hey, I'm going to go outside. Hey, Marty, Marty. Oh my goodness. There's Marty. Welcome Marty. Um, so doc gave away a brand new Ford Raptor. I don't know about that. I'd love to have a Ford Raptor though. I'd absolutely, I'd absolutely love to have that. Um, yeah, it's, we have, we have a lot of carpenter ants in our neighborhood, so we have to treat for them three times a year. Otherwise it get into your house. So my youngest daughter's like, it's those carpenter ants. There's too many ants. They push a tree down. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not it. But, uh, it's Marty. So yeah, hunker down, get to safety, do a risk assessment. Am I safe to go out in this environment? I mean, yeah, think about, I, I, you know, too, people who are going out after um, riots and getting some pictures down for, you know, in Madison or here's State Street. They're walking through glass with sandals and stuff like that. I'm like, Jesus, like, think what you're doing, you know. <laughs> the, but document, document as fast as you can. You know, get down with a notepad, write down the time you're documenting, what happened, what time this happened, all this, because then that's really important for an insurance claim, right? Contact the people you need to. I've got to hold my biller got a hold of my neighbor because I thought their insurance was going to pick us up until I, I learn. No, if the tree falls in your house, you have to pay for it. Like, how the hell is that even like a real thing? 
how is, <laughs> I just don't understand. And of course it's true. Like I've checked with many people on other insurance companies, just a call. Like, is it a freak thing with our insurance company? They're like, no, it's just the way that it is. And then if they all give the same example. Well, you know, it's, Think about it, Dave, if there's a tornado or a hurricane, you know, if a limb hits your house or something from, you know, blocks away, we can't, we don't know where this came from or this chair came from or this, you know, whatever. I'm like, yeah, I guess. But how about in a situation like right here, <laughs> where is the tree that fell down? I can show you it's 10 feet away. It's right there is where it fell from, but I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, I walked the neighborhood the next day and I didn't, I, I took my car out because I was going to assess the damage in town because it was significant. We've lived in a blue collar town. So, you know, when you're already in a lockdown because of COVID and your business is shut down and then you get hit with something like this, it really sucks. And it sucks for so many people, like these small business owners. And these, it's just a lot of devastation, a lot of devastation. So like I, I started to drive, but then you can hear the crunching under the wheels. And I'm like, I just, I don't need a flat tire. Cause I mean, you're, you're literally driving over, um, you know, pieces leftover you know tree stuff siding stuff at that point i'm like christ i don't need i don't need any of that so i just got out i biked which wasn't probably much better although <laughs> it gives you more reaction time you can see what's going on i went on i kind of biked the town um and then uh and that was that was pretty crazy but then i just walked it right especially my own neighbor i guess that's what was going on and this is the thing that you do when you're a neighbor right here's here's what you do in your neighbor is you help out your other your neighbors so once I had my place secure and, you know, which was pretty fast. Got my place secure. Understand what's going on. There's nothing else I can do at my place. Then I go down to my neighbors and, and, you know, I can, they're all out and people are helping. So I'm just like, what can I help you with? Like, you know, do you want me to saw stuff up? Do you want me to move stuff? What do you want me to do? And I'm like, and, um, you know, it was, and it was hot. It was, it was like 85 and humid, like the next day again. It was almost like another storm is coming in. But it was one of those things, like my my dad, my dad had done this as a, when when I, I remember this when I was, when I was young. So, you know, again, maybe like 10 years old, my, we, we had a farm, a ginseng farm. You can look up what that is, but my dad had this uh, pump, like a 200 gallon per minute pump. You know, had a, had an engine and it was on, you know, like two by sixes. It was fastened to Basically, you could put it next to a pond and suck water out, put it in a sprayer, spray crops with, you know, use this pump for that. So had this at home and uh, there's really severe storms that hit, it flooded out our community. And uh, so this is back like 1980, something like that. I live up north. And like the neighbors, our basements are flooding out. So was our basement. He'd pump ours dry and then he would go to the neighbors and they would like open up the windows on their, you know, basement. And then he would put this suction hose down and, and you know, do their basements and they just go one to another to another. It's just crazy. Like just nonstop, man. Um, it, it was just, it was just intense. And, uh, but yeah, he actually then and uh, went and, and was bailing out like the high school at one point, took his pump down there. Fire departments were going around you know, helping people, you know, suck water out of their basements. I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't, I don't know if, I don't think fire departments do that. It's a small town, but, um, but yeah, so I'm helping my neighbor. It felt really, I mean, of course it's the right thing to do, right? Not it's the right thing to do. Ask your neighbors, what can I do? And, um, and, but I was tired like because the night before this stuff hits in and I'm putting my stuff together. I deal with it in the morning, getting this tree removed, which I felt sore. Like you're lifted a tree, like you, know, you lifted, you're cutting stuff. I'm like, God, I mean, you get sore from that. And then I'm helping out my neighbors, like, you know, doing a lot of heavy lifting, stuff like that. Um, 
And, and, uh, the next day then I went out biking. So, um, that's when I did like an 80 mile bike ride. So after I was already worn down and drink a lot of water, but I was like, I just, you know, kind of cleared my mind and stuff like that. But, uh, so, Hey, let's go to the chat. Uh, Brian Bowen wrote, got a better one for you, doc. During Superstorm Sandy in my aunt's neighborhood, there was a house which got lodged between two houses. Oh my God. Yeah. We didn't have anything like that here, thankfully. So absolutely crazy. Um, wow. In other news, Ben and Jerry's has a physical location up here. Yeah. From Bacon Maldito. Um, yeah, they are called garbage or semi garbage pumps. Okay. Says to me, um, hit it there now. All right. And Sir Biden. Yep. I know the insurance agent for one of the houses that was insane. Yeah. That's a thing too. So as I'm thinking, I'm looking now and, and I've been here 18 years on this property. I now, as I'm looking at our, our neighbors, I'm, I'm, there's an incentive for me to work out some deal with them to take these trees down. Even if I have to pay for like half of it, because in the event that we have another storm and these trees fall, uh, you know, or even part of it or does damage to our house. I know what my deductible is. I, in, you know, I have steel siding, um, it's expensive. I've got a chimney, all of this stuff. Um, it to try to match this stuff up, uh, to try to repair it. And, you know, just the time, right. To, to, to do this. To, yes. I mean, it's just, it, it's so much more advantageous, I think, to try to strike some deal, even if I end up paying out of pocket, right. To, to have some of these things removed because down the road, I'm not going to be dealing with the, the possibility that these things could crash into my house. So it is weird. Like I would, if I was buying a house today, I'd actually look at that. And I'd be like, yeah, these trees are kind of close or whatever. And it'd be a, it would be some kind of factor. And I, I was, if I was building a house today on a wooded lot, like I'd make sure I had a big enough buffer. Or if I was building a house, I wouldn't plant trees very close. I, I never thought about this. 48, like I've been in this place, you know, since, you know, for 18 years. Never thought about it until really this happened. Um. So, yeah, absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy stuff. So yeah, let's talk about let's talk about Seattle. Um, so the Seattle Autonomous Zone, uh, it's really, it's kind of mostly known as a temporary autonomous zone or TAZ. Um, so let me bring in, let me, let me talk a little bit about that. Cause these things are interesting. I did a podcast on temporary autonomous zones about two years ago, podcast number 88. And at that time I was focused more on slab city in California uh, which I'll describe in just a little bit, but okay. So I've got, I've got it up over here. So yeah, it was uh, December 31st, 2018. I did a podcast uh, called temporary autonomous zones, burning man and slab city, but basically it was Hakeem Bay, H A K I H A K I M B A Y. He's the guy. Hakeem Bay. Um, temporary autonomous zones. So what is a TAZ? What is a temporary autonomous zone? And basically it, it, it creates and it doesn't have a government influence over it. So um, here it is. The term temporary autonomous zone seeks to preserve the creativity, energy, and enthusiasm of autonomous uprisings without replicating the inevitable betrayal and violence that has been the reaction in most revolutions throughout history. Um, so basically they, they, it's governmentless, right? These areas don't have a government. We we've we saw those a temporary autonomous zone developed um, on September 11, 2001, in the harbor by Lower Manhattan. 
500,000 people were, were evacuated by boats, tugboats, leisure boats, ferries, all kinds of boats just kind of came together, created this temporary autonomous zone, didn't have regulations. Um, and they're just like, okay, we're going to rescue people. And they rescued 500,000 people in nine hours. So it's pretty amazing stuff. Slab City in California. Slab City is an interesting place. It's a former World War II military uh, base, Marine Barrack uh, Camp Dunlap. So basically it's abandoned. So they call it Slab City because there's still all these concrete slabs there. And people have just set up camp there. Like they, they literally like, you know, kind of made ragtag places or brought in like RVs and stuff. Now there's no law, no utilities. They, you know, self-sufficient with how they're, you know, getting solar, stuff like that. But that's an interesting scenario of off-grid living where you're not paying taxes to anyone. You don't have a post office address. It's really weird. But yeah, so Slab City, S-A-L-B-C-I-T-Y, you can find it in California. So these things have existed, but that Slab City is more like for people who just want to get away from being a part of underneath the government. Like I don't want to be under the government, some part of like this uh, Slab City, this autonomous system. So, um, yeah, here's actually the, here's actually the post to it right there. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting stuff. Now this doesn't happen though, like in the, inside of a city, like inside of Seattle, you have six blocks declared as a temporary autonomous zone. So what, um, what, what happens often in a temporary autonomous zone is it just fades away. Like in New York Harbor, that one lasted for nine hours and then it was like gone. It just, people were rescued. They got them where they needed to go from off of lower Manhattan to somewhere else. And it just like vanished, went away. Temporary autonomous zones, you know, typically do that. They don't sustain usually for more than a day. And they're in after some crisis situation. So that's a good example. Now, Slab City, that's been going on for years. So that's like a more extended temporary autonomous zone. It's more like an autonomous zone. Now it's just kind of like what it is. But what we're seeing in Seattle with this autonomous zone, what usually causes those to implode are a couple factors. One is they start to put rules on the autonomous zone. So the autonomous zone creates this kind of to rebuff, to get rid of these rules. It's ruleless. People just do what they feel they have to do, which kind of works like systems will develop for a while, but pretty soon, like you have to figure out, well, who's going to bring in the food, who's going to do security, who's going to do these, these things. It's called um, social contract, right? I wrote about it in my book, Hobbes Leviathan. I made some posts today, put four pages from my book in there about Hobbes Leviathan, where people typically strive for some basic level of government to keep things in check. That that's happened since like, um, you know, that's, that's happened since the civil wars in, um, in Britain, you know, 500 years ago, stuff like that. And once that happens in a temporary autonomous zone, it just kind of collapses. Once you start putting laws in like, here's our temporary autonomous zone, but you have to do this and you, we're going to have this and you're going to have to do this. People are like, well, that's not really temporary autonomous zone. So we're just going to dissolve it or create another one. So that that kind of lawlessness nature of it, or you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants, that usually like implodes these things. The other part is resources, right? I mean, I, sh I saw some pictures today where they, you know, dug up some park or something, you're planting seeds in a garden. Well, yeah, that kind of, <laughs> but you can't sustain like thousands of people on, you know, um, a quarter of an acre that you just dug up and planted stuff. I mean, it has to grow. Seattle has winter, right? I mean, so you have to get resources into this thing. Um, at some point, you know, how are you going to, you know, pay for utilities because you have access to things right now? And 
I mean, this all of these logistical things will just start to overwhelm the temporary autonomous zone. It'll, it'll collapse. Plus, like, of course, it's in the middle of this city. It's just, it's not viable. But it's interesting because I really believe that these things, um, I, I, I think these things are absolutely going to, uh, to spread. I think we're going to see them in Portland, uh, Los Angeles, uh, even Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I was kind of looking at the geography of Madison, where the public spaces are, you know, government things, and it could certainly happen there. So I think we're going to see more of these. I just don't see them sustaining. And of course, we're in summer. This was November. These things just wouldn't sustain, right? It was kind of like the Occupy Wall Street thing. I mean, during during optimal weather months, these sustain to some extent. And as soon as it gets to be cold, they they don't. Um, but yeah, that's that's this whole thing with the temporary autonomous zone. And once you start like, so even in Slab City, Slab City does have some fundamental rules, even though like it's a it's a really dicey, sketchy place. <laughs> I've known people who have who have gone in and out of Slab City, um, but you know for for the most part, you know, there, again, it is, and that's not very populated. Again, it's a rural area, and no one really has an interest in that area anyway. It's not important to commerce or things like that. But if you're in the middle of a of a metropolitan closing off streets, and if this starts to expand, so it's like six blocks, but what if you get out to eight blocks? Or what if you get to 10 blocks and you make these perimeters? Well, I mean, that starts to, to interrupt, um, you know, substantial services, businesses, stuff like that. Um, but this is fascinating to watch, right? Because it's almost like watching a Waco. I remember the Waco, Texas compound, you know, which was, I think the FBI um, was involved in overthrowing that, you know, I don't know, 25 years ago, something like that. But um, some this, this will either just dissolve as most temporary autonomous zones do. Autonomous zones just typically dissolve. They just kind of go back to whatever they were before. Um, and if it doesn't do that, um, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how the government approaches this in taking this down. Um, and I do know that. Um, welcome back, Red Crusader. I didn't know Nick was doing a, a show tonight. Um, by the way, if you go into Nick's show, please post and remind him to leave a review for School of Airs, Nick August. I would appreciate that. Say, hey, Nick, have you left a review for School of Airs, which he's read? He's read. But we need him to leave a review. I know he's a busy guy, but um, so so yeah. Now Bacon Bacon Maldito, uh, who is in the the chat here, you know Bacon has indicated he's been able to go in and out of this temporary autonomous zone. So again, we hear these things on the media like it's shut down, it's very dangerous, and of course, yeah, I assume there is some danger in it because there isn't law enforcement there. You have people, you don't know who's you're not betting. Okay, you're yeah, we, you've gone through this, like you're protecting this area or whatever. But you know, as he indicated, he's able to get in and out of that area. So yeah, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty intense. But um, but yeah. So you know, as as again, we go into this, kind of get into a, a wrap up here. A few things. If you can smash the like button, I would I would appreciate that. Um, and here I'm even well, I'm not gonna do this. I am going to do this. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, look at that. I got the thumbs up graphic. And I also got this one right here. The old Batman. Dun, 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 dun. Batman. This was, yeah, we didn't have any lightning with that storm either, um, which was which was great. Like it came through um, because if there would have been lightning, it was super dangerous to go outside. 
um, you know, again, you have to, to do risk assessment. So um, let's look over here in the, the chat. Um, bake or, um, okay. Make the best. Make the best. Thank you so much for uh, coming in. Uh, Nick did mention he's going to take care of what he owed you. Oh, hey, Owen's great. So I, I absolutely love the little dude holding the the AMW rip beer. Like, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, I appreciate that. Um, Bacon wrote, Safety Doc Podcasts are going to disperse once a decent-sized rainstorm comes along. Mark my words. Yeah, it's the thing. I mean, once rain or weather, um, these things just, they, they won't they won't sustain. Um, Red Crusader, something about Bacon's hometown being fenced off by anarcho, capitalist, communist groups. Yeah, but I think... Um, Bacon didn't, I think Bacon grew up in California and I don't think he grew up in Seattle. I could be wrong about that. Um, Brian wrote, we have a full time zone in New York city. It, it has its own marriage. The Palacio and his wife partner who sold 850 million. Yeah. That is, that is some crazy stuff. Um, so I, I, I would anticipate, you know, we haven't seen any movement from a federal level. And as long as these things are fairly peaceful at the autonom autonomous zones, the nature of these will be that they just wear themselves out. They're hard to sustain. So with knowing that there's no need to go in um, at a federal level and, and to do stuff ab about this, it is, it is a weird feeling. Like I've, I've talked to people, you know, 80 years old, right. Um, talk to, to people 80 years. Uh, yeah. Bacon grew up in Inglewood. That's what I thought. Um, so I think Inglewood's pretty typical, uh, Right. I mean, we're talking about and right now you're in closer in the Seattle area. But so, yeah, it is it is just it is. I've talked to people in their 80s. Right. Not only my own relatives, but just people in their people in their 80s. And I'd be why should I read School of Errors? Marty, yes. I'll tell you the first chapter of School of Errors is um, why how thinking about a bagel can get you through the worst day of your life. It's really a book about chaos theory. I worked with Dr. Paul Rapp, head of military medicine. Um, he's done many specials on Nova, like back when I was in high school, I was watching these things. But the book, and if you just go into my Twitter, go into at SafetyPhD, what I posted today, um, I posted four pages from a chapter called Hobbes Leviathan uh, Meets the Twin Towers. And it's basically about how these temporary autonomous zones start, how the social contract breaks down. So I wrote about that, you know, book came out in August of 2019. It's a book about chaos theory navigating through chaos, things like simulated annealing, transference dynamic. Hey, the movie Rocky IV in 1985 had a big impact on the people who were rescued in 2001 from lower Manhattan. So how does that make sense? Like how can watching this movie Rocky actually contribute to this rescue? And I, I outline all of that. And uh, so it's really a great book. And it also gives you the inside scoop on how like just this whole thing of customer perceived value, you can whip up and spend billions of dollars on these, these safety things in schools that really uh, aren't going to make you safer. But that's only part of the book. It's really this, again, this deep theory. If you read the book, right, if you read School of Errors, you're going to recognize chaos faster. You're going to know how to negotiate chaos faster. I'm not just saying that. I mean, people who've reviewed the book, people who've, you know, this is in a lot of libraries around the world. It's been cited several times. It's really a great book again, and it's now for 30 bucks. Um, but it went through 10 peer reviews. I put it through the ringer. Uh, it went through three proofs. Um, 
I, you know, I put so much into this book. So nobody could challenge the book, right? They could, they, they couldn't look at anything and say, this isn't accurate. This wasn't well, you know, they, they could always have different opinions than you, but, but what it does though, again, that first chapter, I'm thinking about a bagel, can you choose their worst thing? Let me just talk about it. A bagel. So you think about a bagel right here, a bagel, that you, yummy bagel, tasty, tasty bagel. So a bagel every day, if you start at the top of the bagel, you work yourself around to where you get back to the top. Okay, I get up, my alarm sounds, I eat breakfast, I put on, you know, pick up my clothes for the day, I drive to work, get to work, do the job, come back home, whatever. Boom, right there, I'm in a bagel. And then things vary, like, so you might get closer to the crusts. Oh my goodness, like, oh, there's some road construction, so now I have to, you know, be delayed or I got to take a different route or, you know, something else happened. Um, power went out for 10 minutes, okay, I moved towards crust my bagel a little bit. But one, what happens, like, on a 9-11 when you totally get, thrown out of your bagel. Like you work at the twin towers and tower gets struck. So I talk about that type of thinking. Like you have to recognize as soon as you can, that you are out in chaos. And when you're in chaos, it's actually there. Your options are simplified, right? Your, your options are simplified in chaos. Um, but you know, it's like, do I go back to the twin towers? Do I, do I try to get shelter? Do I go, do I go to the Harbor and get rescued? Like you did three choices. But there were people in 9-11 in the towers. And I wrote about this in the book. Amanda Ripley, researcher, did a study. She interviewed a lot of people in the Twin Towers who would, who would you know, um, come down. And and um, and they were saying, you know, she said, well, what happened? Like after the towers were hit, what happened? And they said a lot of people went to their computers to save their work. Because, you know, back then in 2001, you know, you had to save your stuff to your little disk or whatever it was or save it before you went out and so even though the towers had been struck, like they knew authentically the towers had been struck, everything had sh shaken. They knew this. They were getting that. They still were in this routine of like not accepting that they were in chaos. Like you wouldn't go and pick like pictures from your desk and put them in your purse and save your files and stuff like that. You'd get the hell out of there. Like you'd get to the stairs and get down. But there were hundreds of people who followed in these routines. And we see that. We see a lot of people who are very unwilling. Seen this right now in my neighborhood. I have one neighbor who is kind of oblivious. He hasn't moved any of the tree limbs on his yard. I know he's out there. He's moving around. He's doing stuff. I don't know if he thinks the city's going to do it. He says damage to his house. But you know, this is this weird thing where people don't accept that they're in chaos and then start to make those decisions in chaos that they have to they have to do these things. It's just crazy. So Juan, Juan wrote, I still need to read your book. It's definitely on my bucket list. Yeah. Well, the good thing, Juan, is like one, two nights you can read it. And there's stories. Like when I was a firefighter, there's a fasting story at the start of it. I, I share this with Nick August, but it's right at the start of the book um, where uh, I, I was dressed in a suit. I'm out at a medical facility, start my career in the medical sector. And this, this wildfire is coming toward our building. And I see it from out my window and I jump out of the door um, and I meet up with one fire engine, a brush truck, an 18-year-old firefighter, 18-year-old kid. And, I, and I'm like, okay, let's do this. I don't know this kid. I don't know the equipment. I'm on the back of the truck. He's driving across the field. I'm bouncing everywhere, just hanging on. And uh, we get down to where the fire is, is the front of the fire. It's coming toward the, you know, the, the building. And basically, if you can, you got to put down a line, like you got to stop the fire. So he has a hose. He's putting down a wet line. There's a big tarp, this heavy like rubber type tarp that's not flammable. I'm pulling along the line. It's basically you burn out the the front of the line because if you have something, one thing in firefighting, if you're like out in the open, you always run to what has been burned because it likely won't burn again. 
So, so I knew if we could get enough space between there was a road and where this fire was going, we'd probably be in pretty good shape. And then the rest of the firefighters would arrive, take care of it. And we did like, there's two of us. I wrote about in the book is a fascinating story. Um, Katie Pashan and the Cajun Navy is in there and Katie Pashan, you know, who was in her twenties talking about dispatching all these boaters um, to help people get out of flooded houses as the water's coming up to like their roof lines and stuff like that. Just these, these amazing stories, which are in the book, Kevin Sullivan, I inter interviewed Kevin Sullivan, military pilot in Iraq, right? U S military pilot. And he was on, um, he was on a tarmac and he, and he said, you know, he's out of, he's, he's out of his plane. He's walking down the tarmac. I don't know. He's checking something pre-flight and all of a sudden, boom, boom. You know, he hears these, these sounds, this, you know, boom, boom. And he's thinking, oh God, someone, it sounds like a dumpster is being moved around just like a, you know, dumpster. And all of a sudden he, 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 he realizes we're being shelled, you know, dirt's flying up all of this stuff. So in a moment, he's like, do I run back to the plane? Do we try to take off? Do we all get out? We try to get shelter. Do I pull out a weapon? What do I do? So, I mean, that's in the book, Brian. Um, so I, I've got, you know, I've got Kevin Sullivan's interview in there. So all of these things about chaos. So it's not this, this whole theory book. I mean, it's these amazing stories that nobody's shared before. And I link them in to identifying chaos, simulated kneeling, how you make decisions, um, how you, you inventory your options. And I've used this stuff, right, man? So I'm not just saying this. I'm not just saying this. Um, I use this when I, I applied this when I was in, you know, that substantial car accident back in 2019, as I started to go into this accident, I knew I was going to be involved in it. You know, I went through all the principles of my book. And like I said, I called in the accident, the multi-vehicle accident on the interstate, I was substantially injured. I called it in. I knew exactly with dispatch, what they needed to send out to the scene because I quickly, you know, I had done my assessment, risk assessment internally. I knew it turned the vehicle off make sure other vehicles weren't, you know, continuing to slide into the area. Um, and, and then when the, I remember the state patrol came up to the car and they're like, did you call us in? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, how did you, you so you're like a firefighter, you got to train. So I'm like, how did you know what I'm like? I just, I knew, right. Because I, you just know if you have the training, you keep your, your wits about you. It's just crazy stuff. Um, so, Hey, the bit, welcome the bit. What's up doc. Hey, thank you. The bit. Um, so bacon wrote, now that I think about it, uh, GAU eight rounds are too kind. It would be a tragedy if, say, a nerve toxin showed up. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I can't read any more of that because it can't be banned. Um, Greg Crusaders in our audiobook version, there's a lot of visual examples. There's not visual. There's like three photos I took, um, three photos in the book, um, or two photos and one diagram that the city of New York um, let me use in the book. City of New York was great to work with. So I also worked with the city of New York Department of Planning when I wrote my book. So there's sections in here about 9-11. The original title of the book was Lessons of Lower Manhattan. That got changed right before it went to print. The publisher changed it to School of Heirs. Well, we, you know, we debated it, but School of Heirs is a play on Shakespeare's Comedy of Heirs, which basically means a situation. So Comedy of Heirs, like, you know, um, you know, you're making mistakes, right? You know, I shouldn't be doing, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it anyway. And there's a lot of that stuff in school safety. I know we shouldn't be doing, putting three locks on a door, but we're doing that anyway. So that's kind of why it's, it's a play off of Shakespeare's comedy of errors. But, um, but yeah, it is in, uh, it's, it's in Kindle. Now I've got to talk to the publisher. That's a thing. Like when you write a book, so this was through a publishing house. So I received a contract to write the book and I received compensation, all of that. But by doing that, you know, you give up 
a lot of uh, rights on the book. I, I don't set the price of the book or anything like that or distribution. Now, benefit is it's in a lot of libraries all around the world. And there's a lot of exposure with the the book, but um, I I have to I have to reproach them on an audio version because they didn't pick the book to be audio version. And uh, yeah, I need to revisit that. That's on a checklist to do because if I was to release something on my own or I guess through a different publisher, like the second book I'm working on now, I upfront want. Uh, in agreement for an audio version. That is a capability of, of the publishing house. They were telling me something like, oh, we wait a year before releasing audio. I don't know. I didn't, you know, but you, it would it would be great to have an audio version of the book because, yeah, there's nothing that would be lost out of, um, you know, diagrams or charts or statistics. It's, you know, again, it's it's told in many narrative, many stories, many interviews with some of the, most fascinating people like one of the guys who was in on the ground level of developing minecraft sean dickers so a whole section where sean is analyzing these video games that the department you know u.s army is coming out with there's they're giving to schools in um florida a couple of years ago and they're like you know to train teachers on how to um deal with school shooters so basically you could you could play the role of a shooter or a teacher or like I don't know, victim or student. It was just crazy. It was a video game. I don't think, I don't know if it's out there anymore, but so he like analyzed this. He's like, here's why not to do this. Um, so yeah, Sass to me wrote, read a book too long ago called uh, tear at Beslan. Yeah. The Beslan school massacres as one of the biggest, um, ever. I, I, I talked about that in 2013 on PBS. That was just horrible. Oh my God. Um, relevant based on what doc is playing. Red crusader. If the text doesn't save your life, the, the weight book uh, looks like it could incapacitate someone who's brain. Yeah. So the thing, one thing, so um, other publishers or other people I know who have a book published, the biggest complaint that they get like in reviews and stuff will be like the, the, uh, the cover was, was ripped. The dust cover was ripped. So um, I don't know, F and birds. Um, so I, I interviewed, um, Aaron Reynolds, the author of F and Birds, which is a best-selling book. I mean, so it's comedy. But Aaron told me initially his book came out with a dust cover. And the thing was, like, people would knock it because there'd be a rip on the dust cover. So a dust jacket. This thing doesn't have a dust jacket. But one thing, I mean, my publisher, this book is solid. Like, honestly, this thing, they make it for, you know, it's library grade, right? So it's meant to be checked out. It's meant to be, you know, tolerate rough handling. This one, this is my main book that I use when I go and present places. And this thing, I mean, has showed minimal wear. I just have this on it to keep it closed. Um, but yeah, that's that is really a nice thing because I think, I mean, if you order something, it's like a paperback, it kind of gets bent up, or like you open it after a while and pretty soon the pages start to limp out on it or whatever. But I mean, it's got the cloth. I mean, as a as a book manufacturer, right? You know, it's got the reviews right on the back, and it's just it's really well made. So if you get this, um, it's something you're going to have. It, it, and I go back and I read my books, you know, kind of like this, I, you know, other books um, that are hard copy after a few years, I'll go back and, you know, what am I pulling out of it? But it's, I, I just say, you won't be disappointed if you get school of errors, please leave a review. Um, all right. Uh, Brian bone. Uh, hey, can I, yeah, doc PM or, or message me and I can walk you through creating an audio book for you. Oh my God. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I got up and Brian, I got to work with my, publisher too because under contract i did ask my publisher could i record an audio version of this like if i and and then provide it to you and we could sell it and there was some stipulation of no <laughs> in the contract i couldn't do that 
it had to be like through them. And I don't know, I gave up a, a, a lot of rights in this first contract. I, it's just the way that it is. I, um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely need to go back. Um, Marty wrote, sometimes I get my iPhone to read books off a of Kindle. You could do that. Just take two fingers, slide down. The thing is, I think it would read pretty well. Um, you know, so if you had a text to speech thing on it, it's, it's not jargony. So I've done that a few times. Like I've had it, you know, if you pick the right voice, it's not that bad, but yeah, I mean, it would be cool to have somebody like a Jack Napier, um, you know, narrated or something like that. Um, bacon, that book could probably stop a medium sized round or two in a pinch. Yeah. What was it in Milwaukee? One of the president or presidential candidates, like back in, was it Taft or something? Somebody tried to assassinate him and he had like his speech, um, several pages like bound up in his, his pocket, in his coat, his spark coat, and it stopped the bullet. It was just crazy. So, oh no. Well, I don't know. Just don't shoot the book, guys. Just don't do that. Don't do it. Books, don't do that. Um, so, yeah, it's just crazy. So, um, all right. So it looks like Bacon's going to send me some photos. So, yeah. So, in you know, thanks for, hey, is that too many? Just make sure I kind of got through here um, on, on the notes. Um, See, so, so, yeah, chaos. Yeah, house tree fell on my house. That sucked. Quickly got back to a state of similarity and did it fast, right? Timestamp things, got photos, made sure I wasn't getting in danger. Like as I'm under, you know, is anything else going to fall? Has anything else been damaged? Um, uh, you know, I know live wires were a real issue around town. And this is something too, like you can, I, I can log in, you can go online to like scanner, whatever scanner app, and you can listen to your local scanner, your police scanner, fire scanner, kind of get a feel for what's going on around town. There's some, I think, face validity in that. That's to help confirm. Um, and, and yeah, just getting back as fast as I can because I don't want to be dealing with this, right? I don't, and I want to move myself up in the queue because there's a demand for resources. Like there are people from all over. I've seen vehicles from, you know, cities a hundred miles away, you know, the sign on the side, you know, whatever printing and, you know, helping people out construction, cutting up trees, stuff like that. I don't want to deal with, with all of this resource competition. I want to be at the lead of that, get back to similarity. Also, you know, for my kids and stuff, I don't want the front yard. They're looking out their windows. All there was was a pieces of tree. <laughs> I mean, it was so crazy. Um, I'm going to just show this, this image because this, um, this one was fascinating. So this was out looking through my kids, one of my kids, their windows. Here it is the next day. Let me bring that one up. Um, okay, share screen and here. So so this was, yeah, this is part of a tree limb that's pressed right up against the window in my daughter's room. So um, yeah, this this was crazy. And the screen's all, you know, ripped up and there's, but the, when this actually happened though, I thought this was all smashed. And, and this stuff like moved around a lot during this, this storm. It was just, it was just crazy, but yeah. So that's that's exactly what um, that's exactly yeah what things look like. So so yeah, the big the big thing is recognize that you're in chaos, right? Recognize that you're in chaos. This thing happens, a storm happens. The moment this thud hits the the roof and the whole house shakes, no question, tree just landed on our house. Um, 
So I know that we have damage at that point. I have to as assess it. But then I'm 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 accepting that we're in chaos. I'm like, I don't know, maybe nothing happened. <laughs> I'll just check it out tomorrow. No, I mean that night. Yes, things cleared off the assessment. I got out there, got some pictures, right? Got the insurance company, started called my builder. Like I did all of that stuff, starting to get out on the lead. And what do I have to do? Like I know I've got tarps. If I have to get up there, if I've got to nail down tarps, I've got, you know, some plywood. If I've got to put stuff over, you know, windows or whatever. I mean, I've got all this stuff ready to go. Like I can get this stuff rolling. But it's the fact that you recognize you are now in a chaotic event. That's happened to you. You've now been placed into a chaotic event. In in a week, you know, my builder will be out here. Things will be repaired and things will be back to a similarity. It's kind of this weird similarity, though, right? We go back to a similarity of a we're still in a pandemic during a time of civil unrest when we have travel restrictions. So what the hell, right? Let's go over here into the chat. Um, I love Rob's jogger code name for the riot people. Okay. He must be talking about Rob says jogger code for riot people. Laugh out loud. Won't uh, shoot a doc's book sass too many. So yeah, I don't know. I'd, I don't know. I'd, I don't know if I'd be sad or what the feeling would be if I, if I saw a YouTube video of people shooting at my book. Um, can we shoot the book if it's small? I guess if you buy the book, you can do whatever you want with the book. After you read it, I don't know. Probably be better to start a fire. It's pretty pretty good. I think it would burn for quite a while to get the your bigger wood bigger wood going. If it's with a small enough round, you could still read it, make it a collector's edition. So, yeah, you know, I did I did a number of books when it came out in August. I signed books. With my Mount Block, my Mount Block pen, which is right here. So this is, um, so I got this pen used, and one of my friends is a pen connoisseur, and he he picked this one out for me, and he's like, this is a good pen, and I'm like, I need a ballpoint because I can't figure out the ink thing. And so I got this used, and it was still expensive. Like, this is an expensive pen, so should never ink should never fade and stuff like that. And I used it to sign the books because that was one thing too. The publisher was kind of on that too. Like you want, you don't want to sign like, you know, with a big pen or something like that. It's a good, good pen to sign your book. So it's always there. And the library copies that I donated some locally, I signed those. And then of course, people who wanted me to sign books, people were sending me books, my book. And then they're like, would you please sign this and whatever? That's what you want to sign with. And I also had this really cool stamp that um, RJ Jones made up for me a safety doc stamp, an ink stamp, or he made the design and had it made into an ink stamp. So that got put on all the official books that I signed. So there were some in Barnes and Noble, right? I went to Barnes and Noble and they had their copy of my book. And then I'd go in and I'd sign it and I'd do the stamp. And then they put on the, the outside. I think it's one of those in the back, like as an example, like autograph by author or something like that. I don't know, but it's pretty cool. So yeah. Um, let me see here. Sass to many. By the way, Doc, I was in Russia September 10th, 2004, right after Beslan happened. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Beslan was an attack on uh, school, um, Beslan in, in Russia. In, I mean, hundreds died, I believe. I In 2013, I presented um, a PBS presentation on school safety. I talked about it at that time as one of the, the um, sentinel um, school assailant events. So... Wow. Again, let's wrap up. Face validity. So use the words I observed versus I think. 
So just start to bring that into to your everyday vernacular, your, your register, what you're, you're talking about with people say, I observe this. And then, I mean, once you say I observed, like I observed that this tree was on my house or whatever, then you can say, you know, I think, you know, this storm was whatever, I think whatever, whatever. But um, once you say I observed, um, so it's a whole thing, right? And, and the coronavirus, you know, I observed that, you know, the, the, um, you have to wear a mask now when you go into restaurants or something like that. Uh, because I went there and they asked me to wear a mask versus like, I think because somebody said, or they said on the news and it's like, well, you don't really know that. Um, you don't really know that that happens. So, so really pause and be the person that does the observation and get this member check network. I mean, I've got all of you on the right. I appreciate all of you. Sass to many bacon, um, red one, um, you know, chins, just thank you. Bikibis, thank you so much. Um, you know, Marty, um, cat paranormal heart. Thank you so much because first, I mean, I appreciate the, you know, you intellectually interact with this, you take it out to a greater audience. And then, um, you know, you, you are the people that others are looking up to. When you say things like I observed and you have face validity, you're talking about member check networks and you serve as my member check network, a num number of you, you know, Brian Bowden, um, in the Bronx telling me exactly what's going on. Um, you know, during the kind of the height of the coronavirus, you know, the initial lockdowns and things like that, that is so valuable to be able to say, I observed and have those people that you can trust um, that when they are telling you that they're telling you that because they've been outside, they've actually experienced these things versus like, oh, this is what I observed. But what they're really doing is saying, this is what's coming across the news in my area. Uh, Cause that's just not helpful. Right. I mean, stay away from the, stay away from the news, actually go out and observe things. That's why like, like after a storm, like I got out on my bike, I biked the whole neighborhood, I biked the whole town. So I knew exactly what happened, what the whole town looked like. And then I could kind of gauge like, here's what it was the most severe area. Here's whatever. And, um, versus like people, and a lot of people around me are saying, Hey, did you get to whatever? Cause like that part is devastator. I, I don't know. I biked through that damage, but this is, you know, much worse. Well, I heard it was really bad. Like I heard this got done and the shingles were peeled off and roofs were, you know, three miles away. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't see that. Like, I didn't see it. I actually went through that neighborhood. Didn't see it. I went through this neighborhood, saw this. Um, so it's that ability to, to be able to say, Hey, I saw this. Um, and, and as people have told me, Hey, red crusader, observe safety doc shows. It was good. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. I do. Ohio from the great state of Ohio, but teaching that to my kids, make you best the difference between I think, and I know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, schools don't do this typically. And even as parents, we don't do it enough. And, you know, with my kids, I, I will ask them, is this something, how do you know this? Is this something you observed or who observed it? Or how do you know it? Or how can we check that this actually has happened? After, you know, the, all of the stuff happened with coronavirus, about March 15th, the big shutdowns. And then in our city, you know, they started to shut down the parks and stuff like that. I took a lot of pictures for, I'm going to bring them into my next book I'm writing now, but um, I took my kids out and, you know, we drove around and we went to the, where we could see the Walmart parking lot and say, you know, so they're still in Walmart. They're still doing this. You know, it's not all shut down, blocked off. We it took them to you know, here's the hospital. Here's the parks you go to. Here's your schools. We drove by. I mean, some of these things are closed, obviously, and stuff. But, but if you just hear these things, it really freaks you out. You have to ground things. And one one of the things I talk about in the upcoming books, I've done a lot of work on this. Right, I've done a lot of work on the next book and actually getting trademarks 
for um, getting trademarks for the next book, which is an interesting process because um, I have some terms, at least one term in there that I want to be able to, to pull forward into presentations, T-shirts, coffee mugs, things like that, um, and, and to have it as kind of a theory. Like the Overton window is like a trademark term and stuff like that, meaning policy is acceptable during certain times. But um, so what I'm proposing for like my book I'm having a trademark that would go with that. I've already secured the website for the book title and stuff like this. It's really cool. Like I learned this stuff from the first book. You know, you kind of, you know, you apply this stuff, you go forward, but, um, but yeah, so it's just fascinating to, you know, as I go into this, the second book, um, it's, it's really about how fast information comes at people and how people process information, right? <laughs> First 72 hours, absolutely crazy. And then, you know, you start to pattern recognize, you start to go to your sources, but something a lot, a lot of people actually don't like a third of the people just kind of just whatever they're told, or they do that, that thing I was telling you about before where they just go to the internet and then they just search the same term over and over again, or do the refresh on like Seattle protests or Seattle riots. And what do you expect to find after that? So, hey, let's go to the chat. Bacon wrote, I observed a Karen that tried to get me to wear a mask. I said, okay, Karen, um, that line really works. Shut her right up. So we haven't had too much of the mask wearing around here, although like if I went to a Menards, I have to have one. And like we all have them now as family members. And I have one in my car in case I end up somewhere and I'm like, they require a mask. Oh, I'm sure they probably would just sell you one. I observed the announcement of a new bestseller live. Wow, Bacon. I hope so. I mean, it has a really cool title. I can't get too much into it, right? Because um, I'm working, though, with a Pulitzer Prize winning agent um, that I've worked with in the past. You can probably figure that out if you've done some work, at, you know, my background. But And we've been talking because this one, I'm going to take a different approach on than the first book, which is more school safety genre. This is for everybody. And actually, Bacon, I mean, um, you know, as the pictures you've been sharing with me, some of the interviews, that stuff is all coming forward into the book. So we're going to have some really cool stuff. And it's going to, to have this baseline also. We've never had this time in modern history where we've had these two concurrent events, these sentinel chaotic events, the coronavirus, right? And then also the civil unrest. These two things, and they've also happened now within 90 days, which is that finite voltage. So how are people handling this? And so I stepped through this from a research perspective and then through many interviews. And Brian, like your information will be coming forward into the book. How you go through with face validity and checking your information and making sure you can say, I observe, or through my member check network, which is this very coveted network, right? I have member checks in my book and they're noted right up front. Like I had 10 people who I, I would you know, send chapters of the book to or whatever. And I'd say, tell me if I'm, if I'm on the mark with that, with this, or I'm not, and be completely honest with me because don't just tell me what I want to hear. Like the book is great. If it's not making sense or whatever, fix it. Let me fix it now versus like getting it published and then, you know, have to deal with it. And I remember chapter 28, the chapter about bollards. So it was a, the chapter about bollards. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it's just absolutely crazy because that one wasn't making sense to me. It was kind of a real choppy chapter when I started. It's one of the best chapters in the book right now. But uh, chapter 28 was about bollards. And um, 
Hey, good night, Red Crusader. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, definitely appreciate it. So yeah, I'll wrap it up here. In, in uh, I'm in the wrap up phase right now. So, um, but yeah, so uh, just saying, you know, the uh, chapter twenty eight. Um, I, I one of my member checks, uh, you know, was, I read it and said this isn't this isn't good. Like it, the other stuff is good, but like this chapter is not good. Doesn't flow well. Doesn't it's kind of choppy. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me either. And it's it's hard like when you're writing because you get so close to this stuff and objective. And there's a certain point, and maybe as an author, you just kind of be like, the hell with it. Like you just put it away. Like you don't want to do this anymore. It's writing at least for me, writing a book, um, especially of this nature and this, this kind of real intense top, you know, topic. It's not fun. I mean, it's great when it's done, but when you're doing it, it's, it's really, there's a lot of demand on, on getting it right. So, um, what I did is I took chapter 28, I printed the whole thing off and uh, I started to cut up every, every few paragraphs and I, I took it upstairs and I laid it all out on my kitchen table and I started to shift it around, take out stuff that I didn't need, put different titles in sticky notes. Like I'm doing all this so I can visually see this. And then I rewrote that chapter into what it is today, which I think is one of the best chapters in the book about Ballard's. Um, and there's, again, a, there's a great section in that book. Why should you get school of errors? Well, Pete Medic, M-E-D-E-K, Pete Medic with Ohio Trailways Association. This is a bicyclist. Like, I'm a bicyclist, too. Like, Pete Medic talks about all these uh, people who are maimed or killed in Ohio and across the country because they ran into bollards while biking. And you think, well, how the hell can you do that? Well, you know, first, if somebody's in front of you and you're on a bike, you know, trail and you're doing 15, 20 miles an hour and they go to the left because there's a bollard, that leaves you, you know, two seconds to make a decision oh my God, there's a bollard and then you have to negotiate it. And these people, you know, someone moves and they just collide. It's cross country runners. They collide into these things, right? And they die, they die and, and this never comes. I wrote upon the book, there's like many deaths a year due to these things. Then also you put these things up and medical providers try to um, get to the scene and they can't get an ambulance up there and other stuff because the bollards are there. So they have to take a gurney and try to weave it around. These gurneys are motorized now. Um, so it's just quite a scene to see this like Frogger type game with these gurneys, like, people going around, just crazy stuff. But um, so in the upcoming book, um, there's a few interviews um, already secured for that book. One is Larry Lawton, the biggest jewel thief um, in the history of the United States. So you can check. I mean, Larry's a YouTuber. I mean, his stuff gets hundreds of thousands of views, but he has so much situational awareness, right? So Larry is specifically going to do a show with me and do an interview. And we're going to talk about how he knew what was authentic um, information, because when he was released, he had spent like 12 years in prison. He didn't even, he didn't see a cell phone. Like when he went to prison, cell phones are real primitive, like the big brick. He got out and he was on a bus and um, going to, after he was released and, and the lady in the seat next to him had a flip phone. Okay. This is, you know, like, I don't know, eight years ago or something. He was just amazed by it. So he asked her if he could see his phone. Again, he's like looking at cars. He's just amazed, but kind of like Shawshank Redemption. Remember when the old guy gets released from the prison? And then, um, you know, it, it's just it's just crazy that, uh, you know, all this stuff is changing. The world's gotten into a hurry and he's, he's seeing these cars. But it was amazing because he's telling the story. Like he went to a subway at a gas station, like the Greyhound bus pulled over. And he's like, he had no idea how to like order at the subway. Because when he went to prison, gas stations just had like some candy and stuff like that. Like there wasn't the subway or Arby's like attached to it. 
So my question to him, and you know, he's written again, Gangster Redemption and stuff like that. Larry Lodge, he's a really smart guy. And we're going to talk about it. It's going to come forward in the book is he had to very, he had to be very sophisticated systems on how he knew the information he was getting while he was in prison was accurate. So what was, what were the systems that he was using? So he knew again, what in, inside the prison and then outside the prison, what was happening, how to vet those. So we're going to talk about that. That's going to be an interesting chapter. Also going to have um, Nikolai on. Nikolai was on um, the Masculine Geek podcast. So Nikolai was, he's hes a, a Russian. Uh, he was on the Russian um, cycling team, bicyclist. He actually biked. He was in a, in a meet, a competition where they biked past Pripat as Pripat was preparing to be evacuated after Chernobyl. So again, he's biking past in this competition hundreds of buses which have like led over them in 1986 because they're evacuating Chernobyl. So he's biking past this. He doesn't really know what's happening. They're not telling him. So he's going to talk about how he became aware of this, the information he got. We're going to talk about a prolonged event, kind of like a pandemic. You know, Chernobyl lasted really for months. I guess you could say it's still having effects. So, but how about somebody who was right there at the time? Um, so those are those are two interviews, um, you know, that are making it. And then Philip um, Heinrich from Germany is going to talk about, you know, the the things that Germany um, has put in place during the coronavirus, um, how what's manifesting in the stores, things like, you know, they're they're giving a lot of work to do activities like coloring books to people. You know, we see this happen with kids and the elderly, like coloring books keep, you know, keep them active, keep their, keep them busy, but a lot of these busy tasks. So he's going to talk about kind of this stuff, this propaganda. Um, so, you know, Brent can, who's in Hungary is going to give his perspective. So I've got a lot of really cool interviews lined up for this book, right? These really incredible, um, sort these, these dynamic people, these incredible sources. And just to say, you know, we're going to bring forward the interview with Nick Shulaner, who is a university student, University of Washington, Pullman, when the pandemic hit, how he got information, how he verified information, what it meant for him. Um, so, you know, we're in a tremendous point in history right now. So as I put this together and talk about this, this whole thing of the speed of information, how to find out face validity, how to work it, it's going to make a lot of sense for anybody, you know, reading this book. So this common thing, like we've all gone through this, right? You're going to have this common baseline. Says to me, remember when a rogue truck killed 80 people in Europe? Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't, I don't know if that was, that wasn't the nice France one. I don't know where that was. I don't know about 80. I don't, I don't know if I remember the 80, but I remember the nice France one. That was a hard thing too. When I wrote the book, when I wrote School of Airs, I cite things that happened, like some sentinel events. Um, but there had to be a point too when you had to just stop that. Even in, so, like, if there was some Sentinel school shooting, you know, 30 people die, you know, a day before I submit it to be finalized by the publisher, I couldn't include that, right? Like I had, there had to be a point when you just had to, to shut things down. There's also some, a section in the book when I, I talk about like experience I had, I was, I was at Packers training camp. It was back, you know, a couple of years, maybe three, four years ago with my family. So we're at Packers training camp. And and the and the Packers, so the training camp is across from Lambeau Field at the at the facilities there. Um, and they they the players take bikes and stuff, kids bikes, and they go back to the stadium. And it's like gated off on each side. And security's 
it's kind of so-so. But anyway, we got caught up into this. My my family and I, we were watching this, and we were trying to get up to the stadium and get to the pro shop to just, you know, check out polo shirts, things like a Packer stuff. And somehow we got we got funneled into the section where the players were going up into the to the stadium where they were going to be going back to the locker room. Wasn't intentional, right? Somehow this just happened as they're like moving these gates and dynamically. And I realized it that, oh my God, like we are in the same line with all of the players. And we continue to walk with them for, you know, 20 yards. And I'm I'm realizing people around us have to be show have to be realizing this isn't right. Like these people. And the, we're not relatives of the players. You know, they got a Packer shirt on or something, or they're not like, you know, part of the training team or, you know, I got two young kids with me. And finally somebody stopped us and just said, you need to exit at this gate. And I'm like, yeah, we're trying to get out of here. And it was easy. Like we didn't have any interrogation, any question, but it was, it was weird because we shouldn't have had that access. I write about in the book too, of like, you know, how, you know, these, you think about NFL and these, you know, these, these really high security venues, how it's pretty easy for a novice to get into those um what was it you know it was uh, the one of the british um aircraft carriers somebody landed a drone on the flight deck and it was it was by accident they were they were actually up taking pictures of this drone you know just you know wanting to, to take pictures of the drone or take pictures of this aircraft carrier and and this drone is like low on battery power so they end up like just landing it on the deck and it's there for several minutes. And then finally, like they get it off the deck and recover. And the guy then goes up the, the drone pilot, right? The drone pilot. Um, so let's see here. Uh, insurance decides to cover docks, tree damage in exchange for surrounding his house with bollards. Wow. <laughs> CNN. Don't put bollards around my house. I don't want that. But yeah, Tree damage. I wonder how many GoFundMe accounts have started because of storm damage. I mean, just seriously, I just wonder. Uh, people, you know, probably don't have the money for the deductibles and probably didn't even know about it. You know that these deductibles existed or thought if this damage happens, it would be the person where the tree originated from the property. So yeah, I wonder. But anyway, so this guy um, lands. This is maybe three, four years ago. Lands this drone on on an aircraft carrier. And no one detects it. And then he flies a drone back to himself. He he then you know goes up to security that is is around this aircraft carrier, like land based security security. And he said, "Hey, I took my my drone. Oh, is it nice? France? That's too many. Eighty seven dead. Oh my god! Holy smokes! I didn't know it was that many. Wow! I wrote about. I included nice France in the in the book, but I didn't know it was eighty seven dead. Yeah, that's where somebody drove up." with a vehicle and, and um, you know, killed people by vehicle, and, you know, which was after that, we saw a huge proliferate, uh, proliferation of bollards um, all across the world. Um, wow. So, um, yeah. How do you accidentally land on an aircraft carrier? I don't know. Was the, I don't know. Was the guy really honest? You can look this up. Like just like guy that lands air um, drone on, British aircraft carrier. So the guy's totally, he, he goes up to security, says, I landed this drone. Um, I know you're probably going to have to take it. I didn't do it in, intentionally. It got windy or something. I think it got windy, right? It got windy and he wasn't sure he'd be able to get the drone back to him. So he put it down until the wind died down. That was the deal. And then um, they said, no, no, that's fine. And he just left. And then he went to the media and he's, he, he was concerned because he's like, it shouldn't be this easy to like, like they should have confiscated the drone. They should have interrogated me. They didn't do any of that. 
just really weird. And then, um, yeah, just crazy. So, so he went back and he did it a second time. He was able to pull us off. And, and after that, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if something happened, but he did it again, like intentionally to see if they would stop him or they had any additional security measure. But it was something where he, he said he was just amazed. And then he kind of went through this little narrative. You can find these things too. He said, you know, I could have attached a weapon to it or things like this, or obviously to get spy information. And, you know, I didn't, but, but imagine, and he, and he, he was talking about this. I, I watched his interview of him and he's like, I, he said, for sure. I thought that night, like people were going to knock at my door. It was going to be like, you know, military intelligence, whatever, you know, the, the equivalent that they have in, in Scotland yard, whatever the hell it was, it was, it was going to, it was going to shake him down and say, give us the drone, you know, gag, or you can't say anything about it. And he's like, no, nothing, you know, it just, so some of these, the, these fatigue systems I wrote about in the book too. So there was on, on nine, so, you know, nine 11, uh, twin towers are rebuilding the twin towers to the freedom tower. I don't know. I guess it's called freedom tower now, but they're rebuilding the towers. There was a kid, a teenager from New Jersey comes over and the towers are mostly completed. And, uh, he wants to see the towers, right? So he just a kid. I mean, maybe 16 years old. It's in the book. He works his way through fencing and past some security guards, just like goes up the stairs <laughs> to the top of this thing. And he watches the sunrise. And then until they just, they detect that he's up there and they take him into custody. He's not doing any damage. But then the question is like, how the hell did this teenager get any, any, he did say, and it was confirmed. He didn't have to break through anything. He didn't have to cut fencing. He didn't have to MacGyver a door handle to get into this place or knock out a guard. He just took what was presented to him as the fatigues in this system and got his way up to the top. Um, so yeah, these things are just absolutely insane. Like how much, how much this is. Um, wow. Sass too many wrote, we are very peak societal incompetence. Yeah. I mean, when, it, when there's stuff and there's so much that I left out of the book because, you know, I had a, a page range, right? Like you have to get it you know, 200 pages is what they wanted. So I couldn't hover. The book wasn't really about these fatigue systems, but it's, it's, it's all over the place. These elaborate systems. Nick Schulander talked about it when he was on, um, you know, he had Todd Beamer high school that he attended in Washington state. Todd Beamer was on, what was it? Flight 93, which um, crashed, you know, where they tried to take over, you know, fight the, the, the terrorist on the plane. It crashed in, um, I don't know, in a field. I, I'm not sure the exact location, but anyway, so the, this high school named Todd Beamer High School, they had high security, you know, so this thing is, is built, you know, after 2001. And as far as like, um, you have to go through, what is it, metal detectors and things like that to get in, doors should be locked. And Nick said, yeah, you know, and, and he had he had YouTube, he had Google Maps of the stuff. He's like, here's the entrances where they would have metal detectors and here's ones where they didn't. So they often would just keep these other ones open or else people just prop them open. And he said, even the ones where they had metal detectors that after a couple of weeks into the school year, they would just fatigue that system and let people in because yeah, everybody's arriving in the morning. It takes a lot of time to wave everybody down with a wand and have them go through a system. And, and, and people just get complacent, right? They just fatigue these systems. Um, and that's where, when I was talking before, like when I went outside after this tree fell on our house, I had, I had to, I stopped on the front step while I'm still on the concrete step. And I'm thinking, I've got to survey the scene. 
I can't just fatigue this because I want to get out there and see what happened. I want to see the damage. I've, I've got to, I've got to look around at anything sparking, any lightning in the sky, anything else that could be falling. I'm mean, everything secured. Let's take a big sweep here with the light. Um, but you know, people again, people fatigue systems like crazy. Well, how many times do we get it? So I re- again wrote about it in the book. We get a notice that says. Hey, like your credit card information with whatever company that you bought this product from has been compromised. So change your password or you might want to have Experian or whatever. And this companies are still out there like Experian and piss poorly manage all this stuff like Yahoo. I'm still waiting for, I think my $200 from Yahoo, that settlement we're all supposed to get. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it is just insane. Okay. Yeah. Bacon, we're going to wrap up 20, 37 minutes later. So I'm going to wrap this up. But yeah, um, hey everybody, appreciate you following the Safety Doc podcast. If you're not subscribed to the show, please subscribe. We're up to 167, which is good for a niche market. Niche market, I guess. Um, please do that. Tell your friends. You can do that. Follow me on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Give a thumbs up to this show. Um, and again, we do have some fascinating guests who are going to be coming on the show. Philip uh, Heinrich from uh, Germany is going to be on the show. He's a works in securities. It's just going to give us a perspective. That's going to be awesome. That's coming up um, in two weeks in July. Um, Larry Lawton, you know, the world's biggest youth. If you think of oceans 11, you know, you can find him as a YouTuber. He's a fascinating guy. He talks about all these hacks too, of like how to boil water for pasta in prison. You like take two drain covers and a rubber grommet and an extension cord. And I mean, it's, it's freaking amazing. Like he's, but it, but it's situational awareness. So, I mean, he's going to be on on the show, and and uh, so we're and we're going to be doing those as live streams too. So they're not going to be recorded ahead of time. So we're going to be able to do some real time stuff. So hey, Juan, thanks uh, for the comments here on uh, great show. Um, Juan wrote um, also, my neighbor died from coronavirus, even though he was an alcoholic for forty seven years. Yeah, all this comorbid stuff. I mean, when we look back at this point in history, it's it's just going to be crazy. Um, <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Like people, you lived through that. What was that like? It means people, I'm older people ask me, it wasn't like, don't forget Yahoo still waiting on that settlement. Yeah. That should happen pretty soon. Right. It's supposed to happen. I think by summer, look forward to the next show. Yeah. So apologize for being too vulgar. Oh, come on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I've got a little bit of time. Um, I'm, it's probably going to be like another seven to 10 days before the next show. Got some things, uh, here that I need to do specifically with this book. Um, with agents and publishers and, and stuff like that, that's really got to be put in high gear right now. Um, and, and then after that, you know, we're going to have a number of guests are going to be coming on the show. I'm really excited for the guests. Um, it's been so cool to be able to line up, um, you know, just Philip and uh, Larry Lawton and Brent can. And, and I mean, you're, you're absolutely going to love, I mean, these it, is going to be great shows. So everybody take care. Use the words I observe versus um, I think. Um, watch the people around you. Be uh, be be alert to kind of when they're fraying, I guess, through everything that's going on. Civil unrest uh, versus coronavirus. Um, hey, there's uh, Bacon at Twitter at, or uh, Bacon at uh, Bacon Comments on Twitter. Um, and Bacon, this, your, your blog stuff, Bacon, is really, it, it, I, it's a, really a great read. Like you are, you're just bacon is a, a terrific writer. Um, I mean, book worthy writings like blog posts should be compiled into, into books and situational awareness. 
Um, and also, I mean, Bacon's a, Bacon's close to the action, right? I mean, he's he's going to these temporary autonomous zones. Part of his work thing, part of his so he's he's sharing stuff out that's just so rich. So um, yeah, Bacon. I did listen to the to uh, your recent shows. I know you had the one with Chad, you had the one before that with uh, with Nick on. So man, I appreciate that. So our good friend of the show, Bacon Maldito. And we'll bring uh, Bacon on, certainly, again, to give an update on what is happening in that crazy state of Sierra. So, hey, let's look down here. Sass too many at Bravo Sierra and for Twitter. All right, but I'm off that app for some I've known a lot of people. I've known a lot of people have told me, hey, I'm going off social media, especially Twitter, like for a while. Or, you know, I'm not on Facebook. I'm kind of only here on um, Twitter. I have LinkedIn. Somebody after I got public after I published, I published, I was like, you should have a LinkedIn account. So I put one together. That thing's useless. <laughs> it's absolutely useless. Like, um, and then all they do is they try to market stuff to you. Like, here's a job you might be interested in. I'm like, I'm retired. I'm not interested in this job. Well, here's this. No, no, I don't want anything. But I guess you know, so search it so then they can kind of get a bio. I've got the website anyway, but I just I I think LinkedIn is is just crazy hilarious in like it's it's just so antiquated. To me, but yeah, so those are my two presences there and and Twitter. But um, so far, I haven't banned I haven't been banned off of Twitter since uh, like a week or two ago. Um, so that's that's been good stuff. And that show I did with Bacon, so it's Bacon, John Steele, um, and Nick Shulander. I mean, it's got almost a thousand views. So um, yeah, which is really good again because it's a niche market where I kind of talk in school and community safety in general things. So that show's gotten a lot of a lot of attention, which is really great. Um, so LinkedIn for Facebook, uh, for employee. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's where I put my professional, um, you know, what I guess people, when I do consulting or stuff like that, um, anybody goes there. So bacon. Yeah. Hey, um, bacon. I'll have to get that article on social media would, would help you guys. Um, the most have to get to the article on social media. Okay. And then uh, Mickey Biss, the amount of Google Amazon recruiters that contact me every month. I can only say laugh aloud so many times. Yeah, I get I, I get offered jobs, which I'm not even qualified to do. Like, hey, would you like to be a structural engineer at this company? I'm like, I don't, I might be. I have no background in structural engineering or engineering at all. But I guess if you're willing to take that leap, I mean, I feel like, you know, George Costanza, Kruger Industrial Smoothing. I mean, I'm like, it's not even lining up to my <laughs> my professional background anymore. Hey, would you like to be a doctor? I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I'm a doctor, but I mean, like an MD. Sure. I mean, I don't know. Well, let's give it a try. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, some of the stuff that I've been getting. Yeah. Why the hell not? I'll give it a try. Would you like to be a pilot? I don't know. That might not work out the best. Would you like to do this? Yeah. Road construction. I mean, but yeah, I, I, I get all of these really crazy. Are you up for moving? I'm like, not. Nah, no, I'm not. I'm not. Really? Yeah. No, I'm not. So anyway, um, hey, thanks for listening to the Safety Doc podcast. Um, you can go on Amazon or talk to your good friend Nick August at the uh, Nick August podcast and ask him to do a review for this book because, hey, I was on his show. We did an interview. I know Nick's got a lot going on, so kind of bust his chops a little bit. But yeah, I mean... And if you get it, please leave a review on Amazon. It's a it's a big thing as far as like, you know, my publisher and then how much they kick in and continue advertising and stuff like that. When you get to certain thresholds on stuff like that. So there's this whole kind of behind the scenes algorithm 
Um, and I think you're really going to authentically like the book. I think it's going to be very useful. I have had people tell me, one person told me there's two books, Dave, that have meant the most to me. And one is The Red Fern Grows and one is yours. Like, they're totally different books, but okay, I get it. But I think it is. It's no bullshit. Like, I wrote this when I was out of the profession. So it's kind of like when Larry Lawton writes his book about gangster redemption. It's real and it's authentic. It's got great stories. And like, I didn't have to measure it. Like, I didn't have to get into any of that um, politically uh, bound context for the book. So you're going to love it from, th from that perspective. Um, and again, it's a, it's for an intellectual audience. So all of you sass to many, you guys, you're going to love it. So, Hey, Juan bacon, appreciate it. And I'm going to sign out here guys. Woo. This has been the safety doc podcast with author radio show host and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.